This is episode number 257 of the Live Life Aggressively show. On this episode, Dr. Thomas Incladon returns to discuss his recent successes with his patients in treating cancer, multiple sclerosis, and even COVID-19. Also, Dr. Incladon discusses how improving your strength, health, overall well-being can be right at your feet. Literally, right at your feet. And all that starts right now on this episode of the Live Life Aggressively show. Let's go. Started getting into. Uh, I did a lecture last December at uh, uh-huh. John Wellborn's Power Athlete thing, and while I was there, met a uh, met a couple people, and I wound up getting a case with a, uh, a young uh, family from Australia came over. Um, their daughter was uh, ten, had a rare case of multiple sclerosis, and um, I said, "Well, you know, this is really rare. I don't know." If know we don't have any data on something like this but we definitely have had results with you know people with ms so come on right. over and see what we could do and so anyway uh, six weeks later we were able to reverse the lesions in our brain wow and then it started this whole kind of like other thing but basically what it came down to is um i used uh exercise protocols one was a vibrational stimulus on our feet second was uh running barefoot on a uh, treadmill that's got um, basically, a, I don't know, it was developed by a, a neurologist. I don't really know. They took the carbon polymers from handguns and they made it into strips that go on like the, the tiles of this belt. So it's a self-powered treadmill. Yeah, I've heard of so, that. Yeah, so I think it's is a true form, I think is the company. Yeah, those, those are pretty cool. So self-powered tread, treadmill means that it doesn't move. You have to make it move. You have to make the yeah. The motion go. Yeah, so figure that the instead of it being just perfectly flat, there's little bevels and the tiles on it. Right. So it stimulates the nerves in your feet or the receptors in your feet. And so now it gives your brain more stimulation, more awareness of your foot hitting the ground. And so we don't use it to actually sprint. We use it for people that have neurological issues like a stroke or head injury to kind of teach them how do you run and how to use your body again. And then uh, we then used um, an exercise protocol with oxygen, and then we put in uh, exosomes. We developed a way of delivering it through the nose to get it to the brain. And so after this results, then we started doing it with Parkinson's, and people with Alzheimer's, and all these neurological issues. And I'm like, shit, if it's helping all these guys, what the hell, I'm doing it myself. And so... Um, winds up then I do all this blood work and I find I have the nat- the highest natural killer cells of any human being we've ever tested. It's got mm. data on over a hundred thousand people. And it's now I'm like, shit, how the hell you know, I'm not definitely not the healthiest guy. I'm definitely not the best looking guy. So what the hell, how'd I get all these natural one, killer cells? One 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 word. One word. <laughs> one night in Bangkok. It's <laughs> not <laughs> <laughs> so like well, hey, you know, sometimes you, you learn things by accident. 
<laughs> I mean, so, I mean, you, you never, yeah, I mean, you don't know how healthy you are until you spend one night in Bangkok. The fact that you made it back, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't be too surprised by that natural well, color. Well, you know, well, the other thing is I didn't get sick when I was there either, you know, so something's working. <laughs> yeah, gon- gonorrhea doesn't count. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but there's no record to that. So that's the other thing. You can't can't prove it. <laughs> that that was always my line in college. Like, hey, we saw you doing this. I was like, well, did you get it on tape? They're like, no, nope. <laughs> that, that it never happened. Never happened. Yeah, that's right. I'll, and, uh, I'll this forget is about pre- it in a week. This is pre-cell phone. As as anyone who, in case you didn't deduce that within two two seconds, I would hate to be on a college campus now. Oh yeah, and yeah. do that walk of shame because there's going to be a hundred people with phones going, "Hey, Mike." Uh, you know? Well, honestly, there's going to be a hundred people in that walk of shame, so it's going to be kind of crowded. So, <laughs> no, that's also true. Like, hey, where are we all going? People out now, man. There's, there's rush hour traffic on that walk of shame. Yeah. So, Thomas, is this kind of based on almost the same principles like grounding? You know, people talk about grounding a lot. You know, getting out, walking barefoot, like on the grass, just to kind of stimulate and get the brain going. No, I think when they talk about grounding, they're really thinking about synchronizing your body's um, internal bioelectromagnetic fields with the electromagnetic field of the earth. And uh, I think there's something definitely that could be said for, you know, walking barefoot on grass, you know, not on blacktop or part pavement or something concrete right. Right. Yeah. and get in sun. Um it's it's funny because I have a bunch of buddies that are you know they, they if you look up the de- you know muscle head you see these guys in a dictionary but <laughs> one of the interesting things though is like a lot of these guys are very uh, very basic and primitive like uh, one of the guys calls me the other day and he goes I'm running naked up the mountain you know, like <laughs> which like okay, I, that's I really kind of, those are the kind of phone calls you get those? <laughs> <Yeah>. really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know we're close. But what makes you think I'm the guy you got to call with that information? And well, at least he didn't he start, tech. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, would, would have been worse if I said, "Hey, I'm right behind you." you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, calls me to tell me that he wants sunlight, you know, directly on his testicles when he's running, so he can get benefits all over his body. And I'm like, wow. Roasted nuts, got it. Yeah, so some guys just got a lot of extra time let on me, their hands. Let, let, let me guess, this guy is white, right? Do I even have to ask? <laughs> it's only a white guy is going to think about how to tan his balls. <laughs> well, black yeah, man has no uh, need, so okay. you can rule us out of that one. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely a caveman. <laughs> Thomas, actually one thing was you mentioned vibrational training. Were you using a turbosonic or something like that? No, actually, so um, what I did is I got uh, three vibration platforms, and I got one that was like 20 grand, one was like seven grand, and one that was like just under 200 bucks you could buy off Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I tested them all, and I got the same results with the unit that was under 200 bucks. Wow. Now, it's definitely, when I say results, I mean in terms of uh, improvements in neurological function. Yeah. So. Now, in terms of like stability, you know, twenty grand definitely made better. It's definitely you know more metal and, and all that. Right. It's heavier, but the other thing is, is it going to last a hundred times longer? You know what I mean? Right. And it's like right. at that point, you get into an issue. What I'm facing right now is um, technology is is rapidly changing to the point that I buy stuff now, knowing probably in a year we're never going to use it again. So yeah. right. it doesn't matter. 
if it lasts more than a year or not, we're just moving past it. And so, right. as an example, I got um, I got a machine that we bought. I want to say we paid like forty grand, and um, great machine. It works, but it only goes ninety minutes. So I'm talking to the company. I'm like, look, I use the hell out of this thing. I'm using it like on myself. You know, um, I'd sleep with it all night long running. So I want to. I don't want to keep getting up every ninety minutes to restart the machine. They should have another setting. So now it goes like infinity, just runs forever. And they're like, that's a good idea. So now they upgrade and every new machine now has like another level where it can go to infinity. Well, now instantly, of course, I want the infinity machine. I don't want the machine I have that stops at 90 minutes, you know. So there's all those kinds of like as there's experience and there's innovation, there's all these improvements. And then you, you, you kind of trap like what right. the hell do I do with the machine I just bought? How, what's the mechanism behind what what the vibrational plate is doing and affecting the neurological side of things? Well, so in a, in a simple way, it's basically you put um, – think of there was um, – oh, gosh. So in 1992, there was a doctor that came out with the pain neuromatrix theory, and he simply totally changed the way we look at pain pain before was simply defined as like nociceptors and these gate channels and things like that. And the way it was yeah. interpreted is like, so if my knee hurts, the problem has to be at my knee. Right. And then over time, uh, orthopedists and other neurologists are saying, wait a minute, like we're doing these MRIs and there's no structural damage. There's no neurological damage where the patient says my problem is. So just you know, the, the structural component isn't telling us the whole story. And so then what they started realizing is that essentially you have the input from the, through the nervous system, in, like into the nervous system. So let's say like you touch something with your hand or your foot, you have these inputs coming in, then there's some processing, then there's an output. So when you kind of simplify everything to that level, what you realize is that really got lots of options to help uh, impact synaptic plasticity within a nervous system. So um, a good example is uh, they did MRIs of all these pictures and they interviewed them. And so basically it's sort of somewhat blinded. So you have somebody interviewed a picture and they go, how's your shoulder? Oh, my shoulder's great. I could throw fastballs all day long. Now they have someone else look at an MRI that hasn't talked to the picture, and they see the rotator cuff is shredded. And that athlete doesn't feel any pain at all. And then the next guy, they interview him, and they go, how's your shoulder? And he goes, my shoulder's killing me, Doc. I don't know if I can make it to the end of the season. And then they look, and there's nothing wrong with the shoulder. Mm. So they come to realize that the perception of pain and structural damage are not linear. So they couldn't come out and say that because if they did, then it would really create a disruptive wave in medicine. Like, then what the hell are we doing x-rays and MRIs for if they can't really give us the type of clinical information we need to make an appropriate decision? Right. So they just said that, well, it doesn't correlate with time on the injured reserve list. So they basically <laughs> softened the interpretation. How that connects to the vibration is that – it's just another tool we have to make the brain hone in on something so that we can create an effect. And what I was hoping to do with the case of this young lady that had um, MS 
is to basically stimulate neurogenesis in the brain so that we can help repair damage that for practical reasons, like I can't get into her skull and tut and fix the brain cells, you know, in the right. brain. So how else am I going to get there? And so we looked at exosomes because we know they could repair all kinds of damage and they're really safe. We looked at then exercise models, vibration of the feet, stimulation of the feet, and then exercising with oxygen, uh, basically using a treadmill so we have four limbs involved, so that's more work for the brain, and then breathing in 93% or higher uh, pure oxygen. So the idea then is that um, now we're stimulating um, oxygenation all over the body in a way that normally you would never see oxygen in those areas. Well, that's really interesting. What about what, what about anything with manipulating carbon dioxide? Because I've read some data that maybe having in having high levels of carbon dioxide, by determined by a blood test, actually has some cancer preventative mechanism. Yeah, so, you know, guys, from, there's docs out of Hungary that I'm, I'm just starting to collaborate with, and they're far more knowledgeable about that kind of stuff yeah. than I am. But what we're doing right now is uh, we have a, a chamber called Hockett, and basically it's like uh, – it's uh, basically it's ozone and carbon dioxide steam chamber. So you kind of sit in the chamber naked. You have, like, steam come out, and we can get it up to 50 degrees Celsius. So we get it, like, really super hot. Um, most people, you know, we're going to only go up to, like, 42, maybe 44 degrees Celsius, but we can go way beyond that. And then it, we can release different concentrations of uh, ozone and carbon dioxide. And then the idea is that the steam kind of uh, makes the skin more permeable to the gases. And as the gases in the chamber get to a certain concentration, they start to distribute themselves through the skin, and then we can actually measure dramatic, dramatic improvements in circulation. So um, testosterone goes up 70% even in men that are injecting testosterone. So it tells us that it's not endogenous synthesis that's driving it. It's an actual increase in uh, improvement circulation. So wherever testosterone is, whether it's in so you just did an injection in your glute, or you just naturally make testosterone and testes, wherever the reservoir of testosterone is in the body, then you get it distributed around, and it's a, it's a pretty substantial increase. And then we also saw a growth hormone go up like 6,000%. Now, whether that's from the carbon dioxide being converted to carbonic acid into the body, or whether that's from the ozone converting oxygen or the combination of all these two gases creating other gases, we don't know. There's just yeah. not enough. Um, we don't have enough gadgets to measure all these things. And then you get into some practical challenges. I can measure uh, gases in air, you know, as long as it's, uh, you know, dry air, no problem. I can measure gases in blood, no problem. But when it's like in a steam environment, we don't have any equipment that's calibrated or validated to measure sort of like in, in, a, in an environment that's like, you know, part water and part, you know, dry is nothing uh, that's accurate for that. Right. So we kind of just ignore it for now because we don't have yeah. any way of measuring it. Yeah. That's probably the case with a lot of things that could be beneficial is you can't determine whether it is or not just because there isn't any measurement capacity out there. 
Yeah, well, I'll give an example right now. So um, we started uh, with this exercise with oxygen. Um, so first it started with um, we were just trying to collect some pilot data, and we started seeing that um, my natural killer cells were sky high. And the only thing that I could see that was different between me and a bunch of people was that I was doing this exercise with oxygen protocol. So then we started testing people, and now we see every person within one session. So we're talking 15 minutes pedaling on elliptical. Their natural killer cells increase by magnitude. They either double or in some cases they go up 100 times. So let's just say anywhere from 2 to 100 times more cells than you did like 15 minutes ago. So now, like, that's cool, but what does that mean? Like, what benefit does that provide? Just say you have more cells by itself. You hope it means something, but we don't really know. So then we came across some data that talks about microbiome burden and how that influences cancer. And it's something that no, just very few cancer treatment centers are even looking at. So we started then doing is we collaborated with a laboratory called Aperiomics. We sent them a bunch of blood samples, and they're like, what are you guys doing? We've never seen this before. <laughs> so now I'm on the phone with the CEO and we're talking about the protocols. Well, we're doing an exercise protocol and they're like every specimen that's coming in, like we got from the same patient, we have specimens, we're finding bacteria, viruses, and fungi in their blood. Now keep in mind, as of right now in medical school, every medical program around the world is teaching every student well, you're not supposed to have anything in your blood, and healthy people don't have anything in the blood. And what we're now finding is that's incorrect. That is not true at all. Everybody usually has something in their blood. So now we find after doing the exercise protocol, no one has anything in their blood. So now at this point, like, okay, what happened to the bacteria and the viruses and the fungi that were there? So we start doing some genetic fingerprinting, and we start finding that organisms in the mouth, organisms in the colon, organisms in the urinary tract, when there's exercise, this stuff somehow, some of these organisms, if there's any breaches in skin barriers or some other protective barriers, they get into the blood. But exercise at sort of like a submaximal threshold. So it'd be like you're going as hard as you can, but you could still talk. Um, it stimulates these natural killer cells, and we think the natural killer cells are what's killing all the bacteria. And then after a period of time, there's basically nothing left in the blood for these guys to kill. Hence, you start getting results like follow-ups, like 30 days later, uh, six months later, we're tested the same subjects, and there's nothing showing up in their blood at all. And so uh, right now, we now uh, we use an exercise with oxygen model with every disease that we deal with, or even guys say, like I want to add muscle. We know if we can get oxygen uh, under controlled conditions, we could stimulate gene expression for all these other things that allow guys to push their bodies much higher. Now, this is in uh, contradiction that a lot of guys are doing the opposite. They're doing lower oxygen to stimulate some changes. And maybe if I knew, like if I knew a guy, if I had data on his brain and his heart, I would probably, you know, pursue that as well. But most of the people I'm working with right now, uh, they're very frail. Uh, oldest person was 96, couldn't stand, and now we got them walking and, and swimming. Um, we got lots of people in their 80s where just standing is a big challenge. And now we got them maxing out treadmills and ellipticals, which is unheard of. 
And so the reason why we're going in a direction of pure oxygen versus like hypoxia or hypoxic conditions mm -hmm. is if I got your O2 saturation at 100, so in other words, you're, you're at 100 the whole time, there's no way you're going to have a stroke or heart attack on me. So I could push you hard without worrying about, you know, God forbid something happened to you. Yeah. Whereas with someone that's unhealthy pushing a hypoxic condition, to me, that's just an invitation for a stroke or heart attack. And right now, I don't want that kind of liability. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there just to bring things. Cause we're talking about viruses, bacteria, the blood. Yeah. We're talking about hypoxy, talking about carbon dioxide. Naturally, these are all the things that you're hearing right now with everything that's going on as far as COVID-19. Hmm. What do you think as far as this protocol that you're discussing, you know, using that to treat COVID-19? Yeah, so that's a very good question because that's exactly what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. So just to, you know, put it out there, um, we got a, um, a supplement extract that we've tested, and that by itself worked on treated COVID-positive patients. So within one hour to five days, they, we retest their negative. We've also developed um, several other protocols. One is we take your blood, and it goes through six different wavelengths of light, and then it goes through a filter, and it goes through ozone. That's treated so far, HIV, Ebola, dengue virus. Wow. We have not treated COVID here with that because all the guys um, that I found, we've already were able to treat other ways. But my colleagues in Mexico and in Canada have treated uh, people that were COVID positive. And then what I did very recently, so uh, I believe the exercise with oxygen protocol will treat COVID in patients that are asymptomatic. I don't know about, let's say you're just, you know, you're, you're loaded with symptoms and you can't stand. Mm -hmm. That's probably not the best situation. So, like, you know, hey, man, come on in and exercise, you know, if you can really right. stand. Right. So what I did is I then said, all right, how do I combine the best of both worlds? So we took uh, exercise with oxygen, and we had people just move for uh, basically they're doing elliptical for 15 minutes. And then right after that, and the reason why I did that was primarily to stimulate natural killer cells. So um, I've now found that exercise with oxygen stimulates natural killer cells more than any drug that I've ever seen. So right now there's all kinds of uh, really expensive drugs that cancer patients get and sometimes people with autoimmune conditions get or people that have um, an inability to make white blood cells. So they give them these crazy expensive drugs and people have all kinds of aches and pains. And I'm showing that our exercise protocol, which is like you could buy a whole system for four grand and everyone in the family could use it, you know. So it's not like too cost prohibitive versus the cost of the drugs. One month could bankrupt most people. Right. So, you know, this is a very practical solution and it'll last you for years. Well, then right after that, so now I got this super high natural killer cell count. Now what I do is I then have you do the blood light and then the blood ozone treatment, and we found within two hours or less, we could treat anything that we've ever encountered. So I got a list of hundreds of bacteria, viruses, parasites, fungi. We've treated two hours. Now, one in particular is Lyme. We treated, um, we got a male that was Lyme positive. We got DNA validation from multiple labs, and we showed in less than two hours, the Lyme is all gone. And in, wow. in follow-up testing, no evidence of Lyme. 
And so uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, that's know. huge right exactly. there. Exactly, because, you know, they claim that, you you know, you can't get rid of it. It's like, say, it's permanent. Yeah, so that's, that's a good, that's a real good point you make. And so here's kind of like, um, in the past, a lot of tests were antibody-based. And so mm-hmm. given, what, you know, where technology was, that was like the gold standard at the time. The problem with that is, Antibody testing is a better indication of exposure and not of actual activity of the biocontaminant in question. So whether it's a bacteria, a virus, or a fungus, just because you have an IgM or an IgG or an IgA that's elevated, that doesn't mean it's active right now. It just means you got exposed. And one limitation with antibody-based methods is that it's subject to your ability to make proteins from your B lymphocytes. So let's just say you got malnutrition. Do you really think you're cranking out antibodies as good as when you were healthier? Like, there's no way. And so there's some challenges there. And so what's happened now is everyone's moving. I want to say everyone, like your top labs, are doing a new method called RT-PCR, which basically stands for reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction. And think of that now as, like, the new gold standard. But unfortunately, in their haste, you know, between the FDA and the CDC and all these large organizations, they wanted a quick test for COVID. So everybody went with a nucleic acid, so an RNA-based test. You could, like, stick a swab up your nose and see yeah. what's going on. And that's not a guarantee that you really have it because it could have been you were exposed to it. And let's just say, when like, if you get exposed to something, in the environment, it's never one thing, right? You got exposed to hundreds of things, maybe thousands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just say uh, something falls on the floor, and you're like, hey, 10-second rule, you pick it up and eat it. <laughs> right. There's all kinds of things that could have been exposed <laughs> to that. And now <clears throat> someone tests you for COVID, and you're negative for COVID. But you got all this other bacteria and fungi that went into your right. body, right? right. Like, <laughs> so, but you didn't get tested for that, so you, you kind of don't – you pretend you don't know about that stuff and you just <laughs> move on, right? Yeah. So what's supposed to happen is your immune system should be strong enough to kill everything that it encounters. But there's so many things like, you know, sleep and glucose control and all these simple things, but they affect immune function. And even things like vitamins and minerals and hormones. So getting back to this this COVID thing, I think the exercise with oxygen is definitely a treatment option for people that are asymptomatic and healthy. But now here's where it gets really crazy. So right now, we got all these people that contact us. They said, yeah, hospital says I'm positive. So we're like, okay, do you have a copy of your lab results? And they go, they won't give us any. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> it, it's, the, it's your right, your legal right, right, right to get a copy of any medical record information, anything you sign. Like there's so many ways that you have a right to that data. So hospital says are positive. Okay, what method did they use? Well, they don't even know. Okay, how did they test you? <laughs> was it blood? Was it, you know, something, a Q-tip up your nose? Well, okay, Q-tip up your nose, no sweat. Come on in. So we do a blood test because the blood is considered more accurate than like a swab. And then we could tell them right then and there, hey, it's negative or positive. If you want a better method, we can send your blood out and they'll do the gold standard. It just it's not quick. It takes a little more time. So we have literally found is almost every single person would like I want to say like out of maybe 56 people, one 
that was positive in hospital, we actually find positive. Everybody else was negative. So now it raises this crazy concern, like all this data you see on COVID, is it really accurate? Because <clears throat> what's, what's happened is the federal government has said, if you're COVID positive, everything is covered. So now if you're in a hospital, you submit the claim, you're getting money. There's no partial payment. So there's this business aspect of healthcare. It's called healthcare extortion. Right. How is it? How are all these people positive, and yet you're just telling them sit and they're going to be okay, and then somehow they got over it. Well, then where's the evidence that they actually got over it? Right. It's because if they never had any symptoms, then how do you know what actually improved? And so there's a lot of like a lot of ambiguity, gray areas right now. Yeah. Yeah, that was the $13,000 question you just asked, because that's pretty much what those hospitals get, you know, yeah. with that diagnosis. Yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing is that, so if you go into a hospital, you have cancer, you got liver disease, you got 20 different things. Right. On your death certificate, it's probably going to say COVID right now, <laughs> right. Yeah. because it's full reimbursement. And then there's no protocol for digging up a body and testing for COVID. Who's going to do that? You know, and how are you going to prove that a dead guy is even going to be positive? So it's a scapegoat now that all these hospitals can generate all this revenue, and there's no fact-checking. There's no, like, people can't even get copies of their own labs. Right. So there's no evidence one way or the other. Yeah. Yes, people have to keep, you have to remember that, that these hospitals, these are businesses now at this point. Yeah. And for most of them, business, it's business first. Then health, okay, maybe we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I don't know um, the protocols for every hospital. So, but in Arizona, mm-hmm. you go into the hospital right now. One, if they let you in, that's the first right. thing, you right. know, because if they don't deem it's really necessary, they're like, like I got cancer, I need surgery right away. Right, we'll get back to you in uh, 2021. Yeah, they <laughs> just did the same thing in Texas. They, yeah, they just yeah. roll back elective surgeries again. <laughs> yeah. You know, here in Texas, the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, then crazy thing is now let's just say you got a family of five. They're living together. They see each other every day. One of them goes into the hospital, and they're isolated for the rest of the family. And they're like, well, we we don't want to spread anything. Like, they're already around each other every day. If they had something, they've already passed it around. Right. Just suddenly isolating them, didn't do anything. And so, you know, what you see is, um, I don't know if you guys remember New York was a hot spot at one point. Yep. So at one point, they put all these patients that were positive, they put them in all these institutions. And now, you know, the, the strategy is like, wait a minute, if we want to prevent it from spreading, why weren't they all isolated from each other? Right. And so one of the thoughts is that it was a strategy to essentially get, you know, thin out the weak links because now you see it's under control and there's no problems there. And so that's different where Arizona now, um, now we're uh, supposedly a hot spot. Yeah. Although I can't confirm that with, with, with testing using like DNA based methods. Um, mm-hmm. people come and say, I was actually two people from, came in from Texas. They showed me they have, uh, on their, uh, they got a, a picture from a test from the, ho- the hospital test of them. They took a photo, sent it to them and it just says positive. It doesn't identify. Mm-hmm what the method was. Right. So they're going crazy, like going positive. <clears throat> they drive from Texas here. We test them and they're negative. Hmm. 
And like, what did the hospital tell you? They like just say they just told us we were hospital, we were positive, and just to minimize contact. So the protocols, <laughs> yeah, like, that's what they're doing here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that sounds about right, man. Yeah. And what they're also doing, at least here in Texas, if someone goes and gets tested, okay, and say they test positive, okay, so now they mark that down as one more positive case. Now that person goes back, let's just say another two weeks. And they test positive, you know, still, they still mark that person down as a new case that's positive. Oh, so yeah, they're beefing yeah, yeah. up the books now, you know, because yeah, we, yeah. we actually know some, we know someone that, you know, that used to work for us who did the same thing. She's gone three times and they've counted every time as positive. So that's three times for one person. It's kind of like stuffing the ballot a little bit right there, you know, so. Oh, yeah. And, well, and if you say about Arizona, they're doing the same thing with Florida. And then just come out today, I saw that, you know, actually those numbers that they're saying about Florida being a hot spot, most of the majority, like almost like 90% of those numbers are a lie. You know, once they, once this, I forgot, I don't know if it was USA Today or one of those papers, they did some digging, come to find out, like I think in Orlando, instead of being like 94% or something like that, it was like, like 9% as far as, you know, as an increase. Nine percent. I'm like, that's a big difference, dude. You know, that's that's not a hot spot right there. In fact, that's not even a spark. You're not even mm. bumping bodies to get a little friction with that kind of heat right there. I'm like, come sure. on. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. Also, also, I mean, what is what is the ultimate agenda here anyway with all this fear-based reporting? And what I mean is, what what are, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to go back to another lockdown, or what? What are yes. people actually saying? Yes, that's what they're so, talking because about. Because right everyone now. keeps hinting at it with. The, and also, when you look at, I mean, here's my opinion on the lockdown too, because I don't, I'm, I'm not against the lockdown, but I've seen countries use a lockdown and they used it effectively. And one example is New Zealand, and we can see America is different than New Zealand. It is, so I'm not trying to make a comparison, direct comparison, but New Zealand did a serious lockdown. I mean, they locked it the fuck down. You couldn't leave your house for, I think it was two months. They locked it down hard. Now, as a result of that, they got their numbers into single digits before they reopened. They reopened maybe two months ago. They haven't had any incidents of an increase. So there's a there's a way to do that that's effective. Now, that's New Zealand. That's a totally different country than America for in a lot of ways. And then but you what, we, what we did here, though, was a half-ass lockdown, meaning here in Vegas it was – we're going to shut down all this, all quote unquote non-essential businesses, stay at home as much as possible, but you can walk out your door. You can go wherever you want to actually during the lockdown here. There just wasn't really anywhere to go because everything is closed. So people are congregating at parks and so forth. All right. So it, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't even, if you're going to do a lockdown, you know, do what, what New Zealand did because at least that was, has been proven to be effective. Don't do this half-ass lockdown where we destroy the economy for two months and then we come out of it. And there's still no improvement. If anything, now we can see the numbers are being cooked and all that, and that's definitely all true. I agree with that. But the, my point is, is that the, the lockdown that we did didn't have any benefit, but it had serious negative consequences that we're dealing with now. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, you got Switzerland, who was like, we're not locking anything down, and they had a low amount of deaths coming from COVID as well. So they, they, have, they have a high, they have a higher amount of deaths though than any of their neighboring countries. But the salient point is that <laughs> when everything is said and done, it's probably going to be around the same, if not lower, you know, that's right. their, that's their philosophy. So we right. don't know for sure if what they did is effective. We don't really know yeah. for sure about anyone really, except for New Zealand. New Zealand is a, a silver lining that they, they've definitely, they've definitely done an effective method for their country, no doubt about it. Now, that doesn't mean that every other country should model that. doesn't mean every country should model Sweden either, but at least with Sweden, 
they basically said, we're not going to destroy our economy unnecessarily because we don't think this whole shutdown lockdown is actually going to be effective. So why initiate that, destroy our economy, and then we still have this problem? I mean, what we have in America right now is all we did was delay the inevitable with our little fucking half-ass lockdown. That's all we did. We just put it on pause. And now they're saying, oh, it's a second wave. It's not a second wave. The second wave wave is actually the the first wave enhanced. Continue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because because people people locked locked up all that time for those couple of months or whatever. It pretty much just made things a little – it made it worse. So if they even had anything, you know – Things they could have just knocked out right out of the box. You know, now they just sat there. They kept them isolated, kept them inside. They weren't outside, not doing anything else, but staying locked. And now you add stress, and now they're broke. <laughs> you know, so you add all that stuff to it. It's just going to feed that beast and make it even oh, worse. Oh, and people, that, and now you got more testing. Minds. Yeah, and now you got more yeah. testing than you did back then. And those first rounds of tests were like all false positive. A lot of them were false positive, or they were corrupt. So now you got now you're getting some somewhat better testing going out there, and of course more people are out and about thanks to the like you said the half-ass lockdown. You know people are already out and about, so okay, I might as well go get tested. And so of course you're gonna get more tests. So guess what? You're gonna get more numbers of people maybe quote unquote testing positive. Because again, we just talked about how even that you know may be a little off as far as the numbers who actually are. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, it's definitely off, no doubt but about here's it. The thing that, here's the one thing no one talks about anymore is the deaths. So even like right, here in Texas, right. 29 million people in Texas, and you've got like six-digit figures as far as who's tested positive, but yet and still it's still 1% or just a little bit less than 1% of the population of Texas actually dying from this in the last five, four or five months. So it's just like no one talks about the deaths, even right here in Houston. You know, right now the death as of this day the deaths were at like 279 in a city of about 4 million plus people. Okay. And right. with about 15,000 cases. <laughs> so it's just like, come on, man. You know, but no one wants to talk about the deaths because they, I guess they feel like, well, if we say that, then people won't listen to us anymore. And they actually go on, get on with their lives. I'm like, well, <laughs> there's that herd immunity thing, you know, around <laughs> as well. So there's always that. Well, what, what's your take? What's your take, Tom? Is you believe in the, the herd immunity model, or what do you think of the lockdown strategy? Where's where are you fall in all this? So, well, so one, I got real evidence of uh, when you strengthen immune function, you're not just resistant, or, or you can defeat COVID. You could defeat anything. Yeah. So the limit, the limitation with the current, um, I can't speak for every country, but you know, the, here we have this model where drug companies try to get a vaccine approved, the FDA then approves it, and now every time there's a new threat to our health, it's a different vaccine. <laughs> right, and they'll make right. billions of dollars. Now, that, it's a yeah. flawed model, right? It's oh, completely yeah. right. flawed. We've seen it with the flu. One tiny change, and the old shit doesn't work at all, right? Right. And so then we see data that just taking vitamin D3 outperforms the vaccine. So, like, if you think of it this way <clears> – <throat> The government could have done vitamin mineral testing on every human being in the United States. Yeah. They could yeah. have said at a cost, because you probably, you know, would, would uh, you know, the power of volume purchasing. Oh, yeah. They could probably get it, um, like, if you did one off, maybe it's 330 bucks. But if you did, like, that many people, maybe the lab would say, all right, you know, we'll get it down to 100 bucks a test, let's say. Right, right. Now, everybody knows their vitamin mineral levels, and the government supplies everyone with the vitamin mineral product that helps them. Now, their immune system is stronger for, to fight everything. 
Right. And then you purchase gym memberships for everyone. So they go into the gym and incentivize. <laughs> so we make That's crazy, Tom. Come on. <laughs> Wait, but, come on, you, so come on Thomas, you, had, you lost me at gym, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, health is, is an asset, but it's yeah. perceived as an expense. Right, like, right. And, you know, it's only when someone's dying, they go, oh, shit, I wish I would have, you know, <laughs> right, done right. whatever. Right. But as long as they're not dying, they don't worry about it. And the problem is right. the, the the financial burden is crazy high, and it's only going to get worse and worse. So so really random, crazy things. I think we should eliminate uh, IRS. I think I'm we should have a flat tax of 10%, <laughs> so then that way we don't need – accountants when everything is, is already electronically monitored and we don't have to waste our time doing stuff and trying to figure out ways to avoid paying taxes. It right. won't be eliminated instantly. We would eliminate insurance because right now it hasn't done anything for anyone. And, and the fact that, oh, well, one guy got something covered. What about the thousands of people that were screwed? That's what's being, right. you know, it's it's being missed, the item, the whole shuffle of everything. And and who's paying for that one guy to be covered? People, right. everyone who has insurance. I mean, most of my insurance premium is paying for other people because exactly. I never right. use it. <laughs> I never right. use it. Exactly right. right. Yeah, I, I, I should be able to write off my health insurance as a nonprofit donation. I really should. Yeah. Right. yeah. Either that, or I can claim 326 people on my on my you know, my taxes as dependents. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Who's your dependents? The whole state of Texas. <laughs> exactly. I got 29 million kids. Okay. That's right. And I got Shitty one race. mother. The state of Texas. Okay. I have to find the odds, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we know you have at least 29 kids that you're aware of. Who knows? But so we could then actually advance further as a society. I, I think Thomas, trapped. when people are hearing you, they're going, oh, man, that blood test sounds like a great idea. Oh, cool. Vitamin and minerals for my stuff? Good idea. Gym membership? Wait a minute. I don't want to actually have to leave the house. I don't want to actually have to put in some effort here. The gyms have been I like all the free stuff. You know? <laughs> you know? I like popping so I, I got a quick funny story for you guys. So I got this uh, woman comes in. She's 82, and uh, she could barely stand. She didn't have any um, – She's a cancer survivor. She beat lymphoma, but she did that before uh, we ever met her. So she came in. She's like, look, I'm getting weak, and my doctor said to come see you, that you could help me. So, right. so she can't even, like, walk from, like, a chair to the elliptical. So me and another guy are literally, like, lifting her and putting her on this elliptical machine. And her son's uh, a little bit younger than me. He's in his 40s. He's kind of jacked. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing to my mom? Like, you know, are you going to kill her because she could barely stand? And you're pushing her on this exercise machine, you know? So I look at him like as if to say, dude, don't kick my ass. I'm going to help her. Don't worry. And I'm like, it's going to be okay, man. I know what I'm doing. And so she pedals an elliptical at the lowest possible setting, let's say like level one. And she goes for one minute and she's done. She can't go any further. I said, okay, I'm glad we got that out of the way because now we know here's where we started. We're going to be able to go up from here. Right. So now the next time she comes in, get her set up, she goes six minutes. Now, and it was like two days later. Now next time is like another two days, and she goes ten minutes. And I said, okay, you're ready to go a full 15 minutes. So from now on, 15 minutes. So now she's at 15 minutes, and now I said, okay, we're going to start progressing the intensity. So now I'm kind of shortchanging, and now she's at – she's going 30 minutes on elliptical 
at level 10, like the highest setting on this ellipticals 10. So now the, her son calls me and he goes, what did you do to my mom? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, she's cleaning the house and driving me crazy. She has all this energy. She won't sit still. I'm like, but that's how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have energy and want to move. Right. It is not normal in terms of from a physiology perspective. You should not want to sit around. That's something we condition and teach our brains to accept, and that becomes like the new normal. Yeah. But just look at look young kids. They're running around all over the place. They don't have to warm up. They don't have to stretch. They don't have to do right. anything. They just right. go and do it. That's the standard we should all strive for as human beings. Like, how do I get the energy and, and you know, the craziness and the freedom to think when I was a child, you know? And that's unfortunately with society, you know, you learn rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Or it's kind of fear-based. Watch out. You're going to get hurt. And now you don't leave your couch <laughs> because you're going to get yeah. by a car. You're going to get COVID. You're going to get something. So, right. 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 <laughs> This crippling fear-based mentality, and it's honestly, it's nothing new. We had a fear-based mentality way before COVID, right. but COVID has just attenuated it much more so. Yeah, you know, one thing I will say though is that um, you know, on on a flip side, uh, here I've seen way more people outdoors walking than ever, and uh, the joke was like, well, they got nothing else to do, you know, so they're gonna have to do something. So they, I see lots of people walking. I see lots of uh, using all kinds of crazy, um, oh, what's it, Street Strider? That's like yeah, elliptical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they got also uh, Elliptigo is another one. So I've seen more like new machines on the road, like exercise pieces <laughs> on the road. I've seen um, skateboards, like of all different designs now, stuff I don't even know. Uh, so what's kind of cool is uh, just being able to see so many people at least saying, all right, you know, I'm not going to let this uh, – change you know cripple my health i'm going to figure out a new strategy and do yeah. something different uh, i've yeah. also seen um uh i've seen like groups of guys i would say guys i mean men and women um bicycling like i've seen now like 50 to 100 people going out as a group maybe that ha i'm sure it's happened before in arizona but i've never like it's never been so obvious in front of my eyes what we have right. on these parks now, it's really funny you know they talk about like six feet or so distance between people you go to the park there's like thousands of people at the well, park. Yeah, I was just about to say one of the things you see is like okay yeah people have a lot of time on their hands and they, they have nowhere else to go so they say oh might as well go out but also at the end of the day we're all children so when you tell us not to do something we're going to do our best to rebel against that oh, yeah, so if you yeah. say now if you just give us an answer okay you know it'd be, it's a good idea if you stay in lockdown and stay isolated but at the same time just if you do go out stay six feet apart you know kids we're like Psh, okay i'm going outside and then i'm, I'm calling my friends because i didn't see them for three months so yeah. you're not gonna tell me what to do you're not the boss of me until they are the boss of you <laughs> and now they're coming at you you know with their little contact tracers you know or i call you know high high page snitches you know telling you that hey you need to get back inside or you're gonna get fined for it which is kind of where it's heading here in texas at least they're trying to find people now even if you go out without a mask so I'm just like, come on, man, seriously, what are we doing here? Yeah, <laughs> it's hot. It's 100. It's 102 degrees today. Who the hell wants dude, to wear a mask? I'm like, it's, yeah. it's going to do more damage than anything. Yeah. We just had uh, this past weekend. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, on the radio stations, they were announcing that it's uh, they're considering it one of the hottest weekends in Arizona history. 
Um, like it's been averaging over 115 degrees. I went, I went to this one restaurant and on the way in, it said 117. I was like, wow. Yeah. That was well, that's, that's what it is here too. In yeah. Bay. I'm like, if it's, if it's 102 in Houston and we're right here by the Gulf of Mexico, I can only imagine what Arizona and Nevada is like right now. Yeah. You know, so it's not like it gets, you go weird and then they go, would you like to sit outside today? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not. <laughs> like, you know what? I feel like I got water to spare. Let's sit outside. Yeah, exactly. I want exactly. to turn it to a prune today. <laughs> Which is a, no, we're, a we're at the same heat here, and what's funny is I know at least a dozen people whose AC has conked out in the last couple of weeks, and I was feeling bad for them until our AC conked out, and then I was feeling <laughs> bad for us. <laughs> I was like, you know, Carol and I are dying here. Our dogs, my dog Grover is panting the whole day. I felt I had to, I had to keep taking him outside to hose him down yeah. because we had the AC breakdown early last week, and then the home warranty company sent over a company, and they did a half-ass fix, so it just broke down again three days later just in time for the weekend where you don't get a call until Monday. Okay. And then fortunately I got someone to come out on Sunday – and then long story short, they fixed it yesterday finally, and so far so good. But AC, I mean, it's impossible to live in Vegas right now in the summer without AC. I, I, I went two nights without sleeping at all. It's, it's impossible to sleep. With this <laughs> Meanwhile, AC. our listeners in India are listening like, listen to this guy. Listen to Mr. Testosterone. He sounds like a little bitch right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's the only, the only caveat I'll say is that in India, it's this, it's this really oppressive heat, no doubt about it. It's actually really humid, which is, which is horrible. But when you're indoors, it's not as bad as when it's dry heat because something about oh, yeah, the dry the heat just, it just heats up the house from the inside out. You feel like you're being cooked inside your own house. <laughs> yeah. Now it's miserable in India too. Don't get me wrong. And, and your point sincere is would be absolutely correct from people in Africa living huts going, come right. on, we deal with this. But I'll tell you something. Those people are miserable in that heat. They're not happy. Yeah, exactly. Everyone always <laughs> says, oh, you know, all these people with nothing are smiling on their face. You motherfuckers have never been there. You've watched way too many episodes of National Geographic. I don't need someone telling me what people in Kenya feel because I've been to Kenya a dozen times. And here's the thing. I've seen people in these, these villages where it's hot as fuck and they're living in mud. And they are, they look about as miserable as you can look in large numbers. Right. All right. They're not you know, everyone. Everyone's looking at these little, you know, as they call them, the, the white savior accounts on Instagram. You know, all right. these, all these missionaries going into Africa and they're going <laughs> to save people and they're taking pictures. They're pretty much forcing the people to smile like smile or else. Yeah, and so yeah, everybody's yeah. looking happy in their Instagram account. Like, look at those Africans. They're doing well. The missionaries are taking care of them. You know, as soon as that camera went off, they're probably like, get the hell out of my village. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> little, little kids are different, right? Little kids yeah, will be happy. In a lot of camera, they're like, hey, you strange looking person. I've never seen yeah. one of you before. So they're just like, oh, this odd looking person right here. Right. You know, but the adults are like, get the hell out of here. This whole notion of all these people in underdeveloped countries are so much happier and, uh, you know, we could learn a lot from them. Okay, there's a little bit of truth to that. Yeah. But I promise you this. I can promise you this. If you went and found a couple orphans in Africa living in squalor and you brought them to your house for a month. Guess and then what? you tried to take them back. They're, yeah, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna steal whatever gun they can find in your house in Sierra and, and hijack your ass. They're like, we're not going anywhere. We're not going look back. At me, that look shit. at me. I'm your child now. <laughs> we can't go back. <laughs> we won't go back. <laughs> oh, how the hell we got sidetracked with that? Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Heat, the heat in Arizona. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arizona's Africa hot right about now. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
Thomas, have you had any update and new new protocols on, let's say, nutraceutical interventions with cancer? Um, well, I'll tell you right now what I got. So I guess so. The simple answer is yeah. Um, we brought in a um, product called Cryptotanchinone, um, and uh, we basically put it in a liposome. So we, had, we actually we got the straight product. We put it with some biopirin, and then we put it in a liposome preparation. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, it's a good weapon for certain types of cancers. Uh, we've also got. Um, just a number well, what, of compounds. What, what kind of cancers, if you don't mind being specific? So like a squamous cell carcinoma. So like sometimes, let's say if someone has like um, an HPV-induced cancer, that yeah. type of product would be a good approach. Okay. Um, we've also, um, you know, there's uh, two drugs that control glucose levels is metformin which pretty much everybody knows about oh yeah and the, the significance of that is it's just super cheap like you could just literally oh, yeah. google like good rx metformin and then even without a prescription you could probably get like a year supply for like 12 bucks right so it's it's <laughs> yeah. like you can't can't go wrong now the good part is that it gets glucose really low so it's a good way to actually get uh, a glucose lowering effect, and, mm-hmm. but that's only beneficial for some people. Like when we actually test people, one of the interesting things is how many people on very low carbohydrate diets, but their blood sugars still run crazy high. Right. And so, you know, one of the the disappointing things about cancer is that it has massive amounts of gluconeogenic enzymes, so they can take glycerol, convert it to glucose. They can take amino acids and deaminate them and convert the carbon skeletons into glucose. So just like just doing a ketogenic diet, it may slow things down, but it's not like it's not a deadly weapon against cancer. Well, aren't aren't ketogenic diets a faulty in the long run anyway for optimal glucose disposal? And what I mean is you're, you're consuming so much fat. That it weakens the insulin receptors so that when you eventually introduce carbohydrates back, because most people aren't going to sustain keto for the rest of their life, they're going to start introducing some carbohydrates back, even more fruits if they're trying to do it healthy, but they'll probably go beyond that. But now you have much weaker insulin receptors from all the fat intake, excessive fat intake. It's only a problem when, when the fat is excessive so that you can't metabolize the glucose that you're introducing back in, and now you're in a worse situation. Than when you started. Yeah, so I guess it would depend on what's driving the high glucose. You know, it's um, the, the two areas I, t- I would start with first is um, a look at sleep because I see um, the fastest way we can make impact on hemoglobin A1C is improving sleep quality. Yeah. Uh, we've actually tested it. So traditionally, hemoglobin A1C is viewed as um, – like a long-term glucose control indicator. So essentially right. it's like, hey, if it's high, that means your blood sugar has been high for two to four months or longer. So we're going to say at least three months as an average. Yeah. We can influence that in two weeks. Like we take a guy with sleep apnea and monitor him, and we can, you know, put a CPAP on him, and within two weeks his hemoglobin A1C is normal. So, you know, so we have some questions on whether that's like a super accurate marker because maybe it's picking up 
some fragility of red blood cell membranes as part of the test, not just pure like glucose binding hemoglobin. Yeah. And so that would be one thing. Um, the second thing is that um, just movement more, you know, what I tend to see a lot is people with cancer either don't know how to exercise or they don't exercise at all. So, for example, yeah. like, well, I walk every day. I'm like, you know, not for nothing, but you're fighting for <laughs> your life. Yeah. And it, walking is not going to be a strong enough challenge to counter what you're dealing with. Right. You know, but on the other hand, if you're really weak, walking seems like a big deal, you know, but it gets back to that, you know, we got to look at where they are and then, you know, come up with some stuff. But anyway, I would have them moving more. Yeah. And then see where the blood sugars go. And then if, let's say, if I suspect there's an issue with, like, the insulin receptor, um, I would do a vitamin mineral panel that includes chromium because what I see over and over again, when chromium is low, you can't get glucose tolerance factor produced and you don't have binding. Mm of insulin to the insulin receptor substrate. So like the missing, the, like the protein that connects the two is glucose tolerance factor. So if chromium is low, you got insulin coming out, it's got nowhere to go, so it's naturally going to just, the body's going to make more of it because there's not that feedback mechanism where it binds the receptor and glucose gets lowered. So then glucose stays around longer. Um, so then now what I was getting uh, earlier, though, I mentioned the metformin, but there's another drug called Jardiance that works through a totally different pathway than metformin. And, <clears throat> like, if you just were to Google, like, metformin and cancer, Jardiance and cancer, things like that, if every part of, everyone with cancer just took metformin, chances are they may actually get, like, another two to five years uh, of uh, life. The reason why you don't see it done in your major cancer centers is it's so cheap. There's no profit in it. So it's just ignored. And we've seen this over and over again where, you know, basically it's not an FDA-approved cancer treatment tool. So it's just ignored because it's not, it's not profitable. Well, Jardiance, you're only going to get covered if you have diabetes. So if you don't have diabetes, you got to pay out of pocket. It's pretty expensive. So most people aren't going to be able to afford that. But I mention that because between those two tools, um, it could help extend a lot of lives. And I don't know if you guys have been following like, you know, we, we had chemotherapy, and now we have immunotherapy. That's like the next frontier is being pushed yeah. on everyone. It's going to be the same model. <clears throat> so we got, what, chemotherapy has been around, you know, 40, 50, 60 years, let's say. And essentially, after all this time, we basically see is that it doesn't work. Now, maybe there's like uh, lymphomas and testicular cancer. There might be decent data. But across the board, it just doesn't work. And it totally leaves you weaker and more frail like we've actually watched people go in with one or two diagnoses now they come out of a major cancer treatment center and they have 85 diagnoses oh, no one no one says that was a win right everybody goes i'm worse now than when i just had cancer yeah so that's all being ignored right now well now with immunotherapy that's like the next big lie so now all of these people are being told, well, do this. And it, it, you, so imagine we have 22,000 genes. So someone does one genetic test on you because you have cancer, and they go, oh, this drug will work. That's a lie. They don't know because they didn't measure the other 22,000 genes. Yeah. So what happens now is they go, hey, you got this gene, and this drug's a good fit, 
And now you do it and the tumor shrinks a little bit. And now three to six months later, the cancer's everywhere because it metastasized around the binding of that drug to that <clears throat> gene and went a different pathway. So what you're going to see is more and more people are struggling, you know, for years now because, but they're being managed. So they're not dying, you know, I was just saying not dying abruptly, but they're going to have a very low quality of life because you can't do stuff when you're, you know, strapped to a chair in a hospital and they're putting all this stuff in you. Yeah. So I have a question um, regarding, so I know you talk about metformin for, is that just for specific cancers? Because right now I have a family member who had thyroid cancer and it was gone, but now it's back. And so the question is, first of all, like, how did it come back? And number two, like, what's obviously what happened the first time it didn't work. So, you know, what's what's next at this point? And is, is metformin, you know, uh, an option to okay. start on? So, you know, without so, seeing them directly. I mean, of course, sure. I, we, it's very general saying this without yeah. you actually seeing the patient. So, yeah. So here's how it, it, it should have gone. Right. So essentially, it's something like this. Um, some blood work was done, you know, includes a thyroid panel, maybe another hormonal panel. But somehow, you know, from the blood work, it comes up, hey, there's something going on with the thyroid. So now, assuming there's not an obvious mass, like you're looking at the guy and you see there's like walnut sticking out of his neck, you know, mm. now you would say, all right, let's get an ultrasound. An ultrasound comes back and it's like, hey, we see a suspicious growth. That's what happened. And then you would say, yeah. okay, next, let's get an MRI. And the MRI yeah. just provides more detail. And the reason why it goes that route is the ultrasound is cheaper. So insurance right. insurance doesn't go, hey, let's do the best first. They go, let's make sure you suffer before we get to solve the problem, you know. Right. So they do the ultrasound, then the MRI, and now it definitely looks at suspicious for some, you know, papillary carcinoma of the thyroid gland or something along those lines. And now um, then a pathologist goes in, and a pathologist does a biopsy, and then they go, hey, it is cancer. So, and then at some point, a surgeon may go in, remove the cancerous material, and then afterwards, what would happen is they would put, like, some radioactive iodine mm -hmm. that gets taken up by the remaining thyroid cells that you can't see. And basically, you kill everything. Every thyroid cell is killed. And then you follow up. You scan it at a point later and make sure there's no activity, no uptake, nothing there. Um, so that, that's one strategy. Now, or at least that's that's the the more typical standard of care approach. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of things. So if, let's say, the, the uh, radioactive iodine was never used, well, then no one would know any cells that were, any stragglers that were left behind. They would just say, what I see happen a lot of times is surgeons tell patients, I got everything. That's a lie. And the reason why it's a lie is there's no surgical procedure that you could see down to zero cells. Like, you can't see, imagine the guy's looking in your neck, right, at your thyroid gland. They can't see a thyroid cell that somehow, a cancer cell that got in circulation, got down to your toes, right? They're not looking at your toes, they're looking in your neck or in your throat, where you want to say, or, or around that area of your body. Mm -hmm. They can't survey every cell in the body instantly. There's no technology that allows that. So it, it's really not accurate for a surgeon to say, I got everything. Now, what they should say is, I got everything I could see. Now, that would be accurate, right? But yeah, right. you can't see everything everywhere, and that's where it's a little misleading. So the patients feel comfortable, like, okay, I'm cancer-free, right? So mm -hmm. they translate 
got everything I can see until I'm cancer free and they're not even close in terms of, you know, the meaning the same thing. And so that could be then, you know, how something one cell somewhere else, you know, basically you have a single cancer stem cell that can form a tumor somewhere else in the body. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in terms of can metformin inhibit uh, thyroid cell growth, you know, thyroid cancer cell growth? Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, the American Thyroid Association even has data about metformin on their website. Wouldn't it be based on if the cancer is insulin re- resistance induced, meaning that someone with insulin resistance is more inclined to develop certain kinds of cancers. So if this person doesn't have any glucose issues, say their glucose is in fasting glucose is in the 80 to 85, all their other markers, would it still be useful in that context? Or is it only useful when someone has blood sugar level issues? So, okay. So um, in a perfect world, so the simple answer is we don't know. And the reason is that, when you have cancer, you probably have like 700 to maybe 7,000 mutations. Right now, the most robust cancer genomics panel looks at maybe 400. Now, remember, we have 22,000 genes. So if, if someone said, hey, I'm committed to curing cancer, and I'm only going to do, you know, less than 10% effort, do you feel like that guy gave it his oil? <laughs> of course <laughs> right. not, right? You're like, this right. guy's an idiot. He's, he's half-assing it. But here's where we are with trillions of dollars of money <clears throat> spent on research. No, no, no facility in the world does the full genome for cancer. In other words, they don't do 22,000 genetic tests. Right. Because if they did, what happened is you would find out, I got this crazy mutation with NQ01. And wait a minute. I could treat that with a supplement. I don't need chemo. I don't need radiation. I could treat this naturally. Or I could do, like, we have found people that have cancers that are very, very uh, sensitive to heat. So for those people, saunas could be a good tool, assuming that, you know, the cancer could be in in the water or in the sauna or in the steam or something. Mm -hmm. For other people that have cancers that are not sensitive to heat, they could sauna all day long and it ain't going to have much impact because the cell lines have somehow mutated around it or away from it. And so um, in terms of like, you know, just because you have insulin resistance, chances are the cancer cells had some insulin resistance. But remember that they could have um, all kinds of uh, spontaneous genetic changes and phenotypic changes. So it could go in directions that we we still don't quite understand. But here's something new that no one's really talking about. So remember what I was telling you earlier about the microbiome and we're doing all these tests? We started now with real people where we take, um, so let's say uh, a good example would be a woman with breast cancer. So right now I'm seeing all these women that had their breasts removed. They had a hysterectomy, so they're like their uh, uterus and all this tissue in their body's removed, right? And then they still get breast cancer anyway in some other part of their body. One of the things that's come up is that, let's say I did a, um, let's say you don't have any mucus production. So I could do a swab, I could have you just capture some spit or saliva, and I test the saliva from over 52,000 organisms. Then I take your urine, test that, be first thing in the morning, and then we take a stool specimen, then we take a blood specimen. Now I basically got four parts of your body, 
And if you had, say, a lump in the breast or, or a tumor somewhere in the body, we would take a biopsy of that tumor and we would test the microbiome of the tumor and we test the bacteria in these different parts of your body. And what we're starting to see is that somehow a bacteria in your mouth got into your colon and that is driving the, um, the tumor genesis of that colon tumor. Now, I can't prove that right now. I don't have enough data. Like, one, like, I'm coming to the party late. Like, the guy already had the bacteria in his mouth, and he already has the tumor, and I'm trying to say I think they're related. Well, I can't prove that. I can right. only just say that the same bacteria that was found in the mouth is genetically identical to the bacteria that's found in the tumor, and it's not supposed to be there. So yeah. we, you can't ignore it. And so now if we treat that bacteria there, the tumor does shrink. So it's a different approach. There's no chemotherapy. There's no immunotherapy needed for that. And then if we do the exercise with oxygen, um, we're getting their natural killer cells sky high yeah. again. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably a flaw that we even call cancer specific, by specific names. And here's what I mean. Oh, you have prostate cancer. You have breast cancer. You have pancreatic cancer. When in actuality, you just have cancer. That's where it's right. manifesting right now. Exactly. But cutting it out doesn't mean it's not going to come back somewhere else because you didn't get rid of the underlying issue that caused the cancer in the first place. So you didn't address it. And I think I think it's somewhat of a barbaric approach of, oh, you have breast cancer. We're just going to cut off your breasts. Yeah, so you're you're exactly right. So uh, cancer was developed for convenience of geography. It is not con- like the old way of just. So let's say if I have um, so let's say I have colon cancer, I could have a mutation in a BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene. Now, what do you normally think of when you hear BRCA1 and BRCA2? You think of breast cancer. You don't think, well, other cells in the body have these genes and they could be yeah. mutated anywhere. You don't think that at all. And this gets back to what was driving all that? Well, what's driving it is this. So drug companies do a test. They say, oh, we found these genes in breast cancer. So women that have this BRCA1 and BRCA2, the positive, have a higher incidence of a certain type of breast cancer. So they got this drug. So everyone gets awareness, and the FDA approves a drug for treating breast cancer based on these genes. Now, what's totally ignored is that, well, maybe that drug might help me with colon cancer. But it's not approved by the FDA, so insurance won't cover it now. So yeah. not everyone's getting the, act, the best actual treatment in the current model that we have for healthcare in the United States. So you could get the drug. Like a doctor could write the prescription. That's legal. But what happens now is I have to pay for it out of my own pocket. And this is the part that's absurd. How is it that drug companies are giving drugs away for free to you know other countries Yet here in the United States, we can't get it for free without doing like a crazy amount of paperwork and all this other stuff. And my, you know, the reason is that the uh, socioeconomic levels of the U.S. are much higher. Right. So companies already know you charge the U.S. more because they can afford it. And that's where it's like, hmm, it seems like, um, like generally speaking, like if I sell something for five dollars, it's five dollars for everyone. It doesn't matter how much you make, right? It's right. five dollars. Right. Right. I don't tell a billionaire, okay, for you it's five hundred, <laughs> and a millionaire for you, it's, you know, it's right. five fifty. For you, no money, it's a dollar, right? Yeah, right. You, know, you don't change yeah. pricing on things, right. but somehow drug companies get away with all that, <clears throat> right? And 
these are I mean, the it's, it's, such, it's such a, it's such a rigged argument. Is... No, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Just that the, the reason is there's no one policing. So there's incredible conflicts of interest with the FDA and the companies that they are supposed to police or oversee. Um, imagine, like, the CEO leaves and goes to work at Pepsi. And then comes back, <laughs> and then, like you got all the competitors' inside information. Like, right. There's all kinds of like there's there's that's a violation of fiduciary responsibilities. It's a breach of trust. There's like so many ways that's subtle. <laughs> but you could be a, a vice president of a drug company, go to the FDA, and then go back, and then you keep bouncing back and forth like a ping yeah. pong ball. Oh yeah, or you could be no a C- yeah, that. exactly. You got CEOs of of the FDA or whatever, and then next thing you know, he's got. He's got a job at like I don't know Monsanto or something like that, you know. And, then, right. and next yeah. thing you know, he's, now the next president comes in, he puts him in his cabinet now, and now he's uh, now the head of the USDA. Like whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Well, I mean every and that happened in the last administration. We saw that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, know? I mean every every secretary in the Department of Agriculture has been a Monsanto executive for the probably the last four, four administrations. Pres- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one wants to talk about that, you know. So. Hey, did you guys oh. see uh, the movie Dark Waters? I've no. heard about that movie. That's yeah. with that's with the environmental pollu- environmental contaminants killing animals on farms. <clears throat> yeah, so basically, um, I, I don't want to ruin it too much, but it, the re- it's definitely worth seeing, and it's going to get you highly emotionally engaged with like just how just how corrupt certain things are. But a, yeah. a couple of highlights is that um, 3M makes this drug. <clears throat> We should say a chemical, I guess, because technically it's not supposed to be put into humans. So, you know, we usually think of drugs as what's going to go inside of you or something. So they make this chemical. The chemical then gets picked up by DuPont. And um, later on, someone from the government goes to the um, uh, DuPont, hey, is this safe? And they go, oh, yeah. And they check a box and they go, well, they move on. That's that's a safety testing. It's yeah. a question. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so then this lawyer goes and he starts seeing some weird things and he he doesn't really want to be involved because he's not – it's kind of not really his thing to deal with. But at the same time, he's starting to see signs. And as it turns out, the chemical was Teflon. Wow. And I don't know if you guys remember, but I, you know, I remember where Teflon was on everything. It was oh, on yeah. fishing yeah. line. It was on every pot yeah. pan. Yeah. Yep. And as it turns out, it's basically – it's kind of like rubber. And uh, – it's basically accumulates in the body. And today there's thoughts that every human being on the planet has some amount of Teflon in their body because it doesn't decompose in the body and it just slowly accumulates. So, so in other words, you don't get rid of it and you can't break it down. It just keeps slowly accumulating. And so it winded up, uh, it took, I don't know how many years. I, I don't know the exact time. Let's say like 20, 30 years uh, that this lawsuit was going on. And they finally were able to beat it. But during that time, how much money they made off of interest makes oh, <laughs> yeah. all this money. <laughs> so so you, you get let's say twenty million. They made that on interest from the money that you know what I mean? Oh so yeah. It's kinda like, you know, it's just a, a minor wrist tap, you know. It's yeah. not like Yeah, uh, they, they take they take stuff like that into the equation. Oh, man. It makes yeah. Stuff. All the little fines they get, they're like, Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> they can yeah. care less about that, man. <laughs> Well, what do you think about the meat industry, the fact that all the meat that we see at the grocery store is sprayed with chlorinated pesticides, which I believe are attributed to cancer or certain 
certainly yeah. certainly hormone <laughs> disruptions. Yeah. And I I mean a lot of times the meat has a certain color, not because it's fresh or in good condition, but because <laughs> it's, it's been sprayed with something. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's yeah. so what do you what do you think about that as a as something people should be aware of and avoid? Look for better options. Yeah, absolutely. So first, um Vibrant America has uh it's a laboratory that offers a way for people to test themselves for environmental chemical exposure and for mycotoxins and for um, organic acids. Those three areas uh, could, could be very, very insightful. And um, I've tested hundreds of people with, this, with those panels. Every single human being I have tested, we find like maybe six or more things in their body that, you know, it's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be zero or, or at least very, very low levels. Yeah. And I find stuff thousands of times above normal. And then people tell me like, I'm reading where it says this comes from and I'm not, you know, I don't work in, in this industry and I'm not exposed to, you know, gasoline vapors. Like how could this get into me? And the reason is this stuff is uh, pervasive in the environment. A really good example is um, the BPA, the bisphenol A. Almost every human being I've tested has that in your body. And you get all these containers that say BPA-free. And I'm like, well, no one's really tested that in humans, right? So, like, it's, again, it's just the box checked. Yeah, it's safe. And then it gets out in the marketplace. No one's policing right. it. So what I've, um, uh, right before COVID, actually, I was going to uh, get funding for a study to look at all these chemicals in the body and how to use uh, basically exercise or nutrition to eliminate them. You know, my, my, uh, like my end game for me is I want to be able to make massive impact. We will, you know, say we've um, eliminated cancer as a you know, threat to humankind, but I want to make sure that we teach people certain basic things. Here's how you survive a changing, threatening environment because our kids and our grandkids, they're going to have chemical exposure to shit that we don't, we don't even know the names yet of that stuff because oh, yeah. it's already in the environment. You got stuff interacting in ways we can never, like imagine that you get all this stuff dumped into the environment and there's this chemical reaction happening. No chemist in the world ever had to solve that problem because it hasn't right. happened yet, right? So <laughs> there's going to be new shit coming out. And then someone, you know, some kids are you know, going to start. I mean, if you just look across the board, there's an increase in all kinds of diseases in children. And part of that you can't ignore. Well, men and women now have chemicals in their bodies that we're not supposed to have. Now we procreate, we have kids, and these kids are being born in environments that they're exposed to all kinds of endocrine disruptors or, you know, some other residue of a chemical. Um, you know, you got stuff from like, um, old buildings from breathing stuff in. So buildings right. made in like the 1900s and so forth. They're still lying around, people breathing that stuff in. You got older damp buildings that have all kinds of mold, people breathe that stuff in. And um, anyway, the point is you could test people, find this stuff. Now the next question is what do you do about it? Right? How do you get it out right. of you once you already have it? Right. Yeah, and that, that's a challenge because, as you mentioned about <laughs> other chemicals, and there's some things you can't even get out of your body. All you can do maybe is stop more accumulation. Exactly. And, and hope the body can, you know, 
assimilate and your immune system like, okay, we got this new sucker that moved in right here and he won't move out. He's sitting here on our immune couch or whatever. So let's just accommodate him and try to work our way around this dude, which is pretty much what the immune system has been doing for thousands and thousands of years, you know, when it has no other choice. So I'm just reading this. I have this article on my website, the negative impact of toxins on hormone balance and production. Yeah. And just the first line is, 15 trillion pounds of chemicals are made or imported in the U.S. every year. 15 trillion. That's how much our national debt went up after COVID. Okay. And only, there's only tests for 250 of them. Out of, yeah. Yeah. Out of 80, well, first of all, only 80,000 chemicals are even registered with the FDA. And out of those 80,000, only 250 actually even have tests. So, I right. mean, there's trillions of chemicals like never that we're exposed up. to that yeah. we don't have. We don't. We can't even test to see if we have it because there's no test for it. You know? Yeah. And at this yeah. point, everything's mixing together, and now they're mutating together. There are all these different chemicals are, like, mating with each other and creating a new chemical, you know, at the same time. So it's like you'll never catch up at this point. Yeah, yeah. well, there's, you know, so, what, you know, that's the old challenge with drug testing and sports there's more money in beating the test than in creating the test so, <laughs> so you can't you know you'll never catch up right you know what's really ironic is all the guys now in olympic committees that are trying to fight drug testing because they don't want their records so they're they're basically trying to implement tougher standards for drug testing because they don't want their records broken they leave out the part. They were right. taking drugs and they stuck the records. Yeah, so. that's the real reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, like now there are new drugs that can beat the drugs they took way back when. It's like, oh yeah. man, it's not yeah. fair. You got to like, level the man, playing field. Yeah, that's right. They didn't have that when I was competing. <laughs> they, had, they, had, they had performance enhancers when Babe Ruth was competing. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how far back you have to go to where there were no performance enhancers because I, mean, I bet he, I bet even the I bet even the gladiators in Rome had performance enhancers. Yeah, they probably had opium or something like that. I mean, like Babe Ruth could just drink a Coke back then. They actually had cocaine in it. So, of course, <laughs> you know, he's going to run a little faster the first base. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. Thomas, I want to go back to one thing. When we were talking about um, your patient with MS and just um, just stimulating and stimulating the nerves in the brain, I want to talk about, like, Elon Musk and his Neuralink company and an idea that he's throwing out there. You know, pretty much. Are you familiar with that? As far as him no, putting I'm in? not. I'm not okay. really familiar with it. So let me, um, so Neuralink. Yeah, so basically it's a Bluetooth-enabled implant. Uh -huh. I mean, it's really, really thin, you know, that they'll insert into the brain that supposedly, you know, will help repair motor function and, and help with depression and all these other things that have pretty much have been lost in certain parts of the brain. And, um, and so it's basically, it's artificial intelligence basically being inserted into the brain, which you know, it's, it's, it's one point is innovative and the second part is scary as hell when you think about it, you know, because like I said, it's Bluetooth enabled. So it's just like, okay, what else, what could go wrong here is the question sure. at this point. Well, so just quick comments. When I look at them, first thing I look at is I don't see a healthy guy. So no. <laughs> I'd question, you know, strategies he's doing because I, I don't know, like, is he going in the right direction? If he did, with all that money and you still don't look healthy, some, you know, he should have access to stuff the average person can't get. Right. In terms of stimulating the brain, the easiest way that we know that has withstood the test of time is just learn new movement patterns. Mm -hmm. We know, for example, if you learn how to juggle, your memory gets better. And part of it is, the brain has to figure out all the stuff. So it's, at first, it's reaching for every neuron it can get to because it doesn't know how to do it. Mm. And then as all these neurons kind of start getting juice, you know, to get power from all these signals going out there, 
now things start coming together, and now there's other other parts of the brain start getting attention, and then now you develop a better memory. Mm-hmm. So I would totally leverage, you know, um, more movement patterns. Then in terms of how to make sure that, you know, fight depression or whatever, I would look at things like um, light and magnetic energy fields to get rid of inflammation. I would look at the microbiome. And I would look at how do I get, like, quality phytonutrients out of fruits and vegetables. Right. And the reason why I say all this stuff is we got some um, stuff we're investigating right now. There's really, really good data on fruit and vegetable extracts for treating Alzheimer's and rodents. So we started testing this in people. Like, I mean, basically, the, the stuff is already there. You could take it on your own. And so mm-hmm. we got this sort of research-grade um, you know, fruit, vegetable extract, I start taking it. And I'm like, holy man, like I can definitely feel something. So now mm-hmm. I, I, I tell to a family, I'm like, hey, why don't you guys try this and see what your, you know, what the family member does. And like, he's now swimming and he's doing things he hasn't done in years. So, you know, we're doing a lot of um, healthy options for people. Mm-hmm. And so I can't say it's that one thing. But this is stuff that is very not threatening. And, and there's one other thing. You want to avoid surgeries as much as possible. The one thing that science has not figured out yet is once they cut your skin and they go inside you, is how are they preventing other organisms from getting inside you? That's the one challenge that has not been addressed really well. We see all these people with artificial limbs, and we find all these thin layers of organisms on their joints, the artificial joint that they can't feel, you know, they can't, there's no right. neuron from the titanium to their brain or something. And they have all these health issues that develop later on. But initially, like, oh, it's a success. I could walk without pain. And because that was all their focus, they're not thinking about all the other areas of their health that start to break down afterwards. Exactly. So, you know, and plus there's... um. There's all kinds of gadgets you could just put on the outside of your head that treat depression and stuff like that. So, right. you know, I wouldn't. Um, I, I guess I would. I would be really cautious about putting something in. And my thing is, who's going to be the test? Who's going to be the test dummy for this? Who's going to say like, "Hey, man, I volunteer," you know, to do this? Because at the end of the day, yeah, you may try it on rodents, but eventually, how's this really going to affect with humans yeah. as well? Sorry, so, someone who gets someone who gets paid a lot and hasn't worked in a long time. <laughs> you know, right now, they're like, "Oh well." Yeah, right now you might a find a lot of takers. There's a lot of candidates right now, man. There's some people listening right now, like, he needs to do it right now. Follow, they're following you. I'm like, yeah, let me go ahead and follow him on Twitter right now and send him a private message. Hey, bro. <laughs> I saw that thing. It's the size of a pen, huh? Hey, I'm good. <laughs> so, yeah, dude. It's, yeah, it's just at some point, it's just like right now, at one point, you got to really start asking, like, how far is too far when it comes to technology and how far we can really go with this thing as far as, especially, when it comes to inserting the stuff into the human body, because the human body is pretty much archaic as well. It's like, okay, what is all this new stuff you're doing to me between the environment, all the toxins and all this new movement, all these new protocols. It's just like, at some point it's, just like, it's overwhelmed. And then again, what for at this mm-hmm. point, especially when you can do yeah. so many natural things for free and less invasive, I mean, invasive, <laughs> like you were saying movement. It's like, okay, I think I'd rather learn new movement patterns than actually get something pinned inside my head with Bluetooth in it. 
<laughs> okay. Well, the problem is, is that whenever you whenever you recommend exercise as any kind of solution to anything, people are always give you that look of what else do you have? What else? It can't be what nice. else. What else can I do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or just you know or you know eat this. Eat this and this and this and this. Okay, but what else? What else can I take with that? Well, I mean, just look at the extreme. Some people are willing to go to lose weight. I mean, they will go to these extreme places of discomfort, but they don't want to exercise. So they're, they don't want to deal with that discomfort, but they're willing to go to another extreme of let's not eat for 90 days or let me do this starvation diet or let me throw up after every meal. You know, to me, those are things that are way more uncomfortable than getting on an elliptical trainer for 30 minutes three times a week. Cutting out a certain food group. It's funny that Thomas said, you know, when you look at Elon, he doesn't look, like, healthy. You know, to even really be talking about this. And it makes me think about, you know, what we, Mike, you and I would talk about, like, a lot of these so-called gurus when it comes to keto and and um, all these other different diets, you know, just straight up just a meat diet and all this other stuff. But then you look at these guys. I'm like, this is, this is, <laughs> so to quote Black Panther, is this your king? <laughs> this is the guy that you want to follow? Look at this guy. Yeah. I mean, he's gray. <laughs> he's gray. I've never seen a gray white guy before. Okay, <laughs> that's messing up the whole box of Crayolas right now. Like, yeah. I, why would you want to follow the, the meal protocol of this guy when he looks like that? So, well, you, well, I, I'll tell you, I had um, man, we've tested. I don't know over the years. I want to say I could see twenty different books that guys have autographed for me that wrote, you know, wrote mm-hmm. books on nutrition and. Mm-hmm. At various points, like they look good, you know, so they look lean. So I could see people going, "Oh yeah, I, I want to see that guy for advice." But what you don't see is like what happens the rest of that day, or what happens <laughs> behind the scenes, you know. So years ago, I wrote a book called Maximum Muscle for um, uh, Rodale Publishing, and I had to interview um, all these male models because they wanted, you know, uh, you know, how they, they used to do this thing where it'd be like five pictures to show like the start, the middle, the beginning, et cetera, or rather the ending of the different exercises. So they have like all these models posing mm-hmm. and they'd have the coach either talking or writing or something about it. And so I got all these guys around me. Look, they look shredded and I'm, I'm going out to lunch with them. And this one guy has like five peas and a quarter chicken breast. <laughs> and I'm sitting there chowing down. Um, yeah, I was uh, burning a lot of calories then. So I pretty good. <laughs> and so, uh, he goes, um, he goes, man, you eat a lot of food. I go, well, you can't eat no food. <laughs> so, like, I make it up I for you. Die. Exactly. <laughs> I would die if I had to th- even think of eating like that. Why not just train harder, right? He's right, like, well, I'm on right. shoot. He's on, um, he goes out and he doesn't know how long, like, he might be in an environment for 14 to 20 hours. You can't just leave work out and come back. So he's kind of stuck. So he doesn't hit the gym as much because he's always, you know, trying to get at the next gig. Right. And afterwards, I thought, man, that is not a pleasant way to live. Like, I'd rather have an extra inch on my waist and have the freedom to eat what I want whenever I want, but be able to move. That's more, right. I think, right. more important than um, – but the other thing is the more you move, like, you don't see, like, many fat – sprinters or fat gymnasts or at least you know, right. all these people that can move their bodies really well somehow they're also pretty lean and um i think part of that is because of the volume of calories they're expending one you know one of the things that uh, i'm seeing a lot of right now is all these people come in they go i can't lose weight and then i'm like all right do you keep track of like show me how you're keeping track of what you're doing for progression 
and they get caught up in like like a dance class. They get caught up in something that yeah, they're moving, but they don't really know. Did I burn a hundred calories? Did I burn five hundred calories that that session or that day? Right. And then they're not controlling the rest of the day. Like, so you worked out real hard. Now you're so tired, you sit on your butt the rest of the day. <laughs> so you did in a 24-hour period, you just displaced calories. You didn't really burn extra calories. And then when they get frustrated, they don't think about these kind of practical details, you know. Um, but I, I did want to throw in one thing that uh, that you don't see anyone really talking about is, um, you know, some people do have a very strong aversion to activity, and when I wind up, if I have a chance to draw their blood and measure, like, different things in their blood, I do find a lot of chemicals, and I do find a lot of uh, bacteria and fungi. And for those people, it is going to be very, very uncomfortable to exercise. So hence why, um, you know, we might just go one minute, you know, mm -hmm. but we know the next time we're going to go longer, and the next time we're going to go longer. Right. So we start within their current fitness level, so we have a place to at least progress from. But when when we're done, you know, I haven't had anyone that we couldn't get to, you know, max out a piece of exercise equipment in terms of cardio um, or lift some crazy weights. Uh, you know, we had um, I had a um, a boy that came in with a very very rare chemo, uh, sorry, cancer, uh, blood cancer, but it resulted in a giant tumor on his left arm. So we had treated him, and a tumor disappeared on his arm. And I just come out of a office meeting, and I was looking down this one uh, room I was in. If you look down a building, you could kind of see like pretty far, so it's almost like one end to the other. And I see him in the gym by the dumbbell rack. Mm -hmm. So he grabs some five-pound dumbbells, and he was you know doing some exercises, like some curls. So I come in, and I stand next to him, and I grab the ten-pound dumbbells, and I do some same exercise, some curls. So uh, he looks at me and he goes to the 15 pound dumbbells and he grabs them <laughs> and do some curls. And I said, all right, this, I, had a, I have a great relationship with all the patients here, regardless of the age. We always mm -hmm. mess around with everything we do. So he then says to me, because um, I was challenging, he goes, I want to see you lift that dumbbell. So I go, okay. So I grab a 50 pound dumbbell. Mm -hmm. And he goes, not that one, that one. And he's pointed to the 150 pound dumbbells. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, right after you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I was like, well, I love challenges. And so I was like, all right, but make sure you have your camera ready. Because <laughs> I'm not doing this more than once. Like, I, can't remember, I just come out of a business meeting. I'm in like dress clothes and I'm walking right over to the dumbbell rack to grab a 150 pound dumbbell. Like, you know, so uh, I'm not the world's strongest man. I'm a, I'm a geeky scientist, you know. So I wind up going over to the dumbbell, uh, grabbed the one, and he goes, What about the other one? I go, Can you try to kill me here? What's wrong with you? So I grabbed the other dumbbell. And they're basically like on my side, like as if I was going to do a shrug. He's like, all right, let me see you curl it. I'm like, you're dreaming. So I put him back <laughs> in the rack. I didn't even do one shrug. It was all I could do to just go over cold and, and lift him up. And so now afterwards goes by and um, he's talking to his dad and he tells his dad, oh, uh, Dr. Tom lifted the 150 pound dumbbells. So then the dad comes over and he, he tries. He couldn't even get it out of the rack. He goes, did you lift it over your head? I'm like, heck no, man. I just stood up with it. I didn't do anything. It's no big deal. He's like, well, at least you could get it out of the rack. Like those are, that's pretty heavy. I was like, well, when I was competing, I used to lift stuff a lot heavier than that. But it was funny that 
the kid went from 15 pounds to 150 pounds. <laughs> it was no like, was, I'm like, at least stop at 20, you know? <laughs> you hurt you? He's just yeah. like, I see, I see a one and a five, so it shouldn't even matter. 15, That's 150, right. it all That's works. Yeah. He's probably it's thinking, because, why, why even have those if no one can lift, the, lift them? Exactly. I mean, at most gyms, though, if, like the gym I go to, the dumbbells go, the heaviest dumbbells are 120 pound dumbbells. And the only person They're I've clean. ever seen lift They're them. Clean. Yeah, the only person I've ever seen lift them is me. <laughs> you know, I've never seen anyone do anything with them. Not 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 deadlifts with them. Not yeah. squats. They're, they're not rows. They're there to hold the rack down so it doesn't flip over. Man. Right. You never have to worry about. Yeah. You. I never walk into the gym and have a fear of. Uh oh. Maybe someone's using those under twenty pound dumbbells. You know, and I might have to wait. <laughs> Meanwhile, you can never find the twenties or the twenty fives. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember years ago. The, the areas that you never saw anybody was the squat rack. You never saw anybody <laughs> working their legs. Deadlift platform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And so we would just, you know, me and my buddies would, would meet at the squat rack or the deadlift platform or something because it was, unless there was Olympic lifters or power lifters, but nobody else was there. Well, that, that's how my gym is. All the, the, the dumbbell area is always all dudes doing curls and some mirror. variation of chest presses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now deadlifts, I never have to wait to get my deadlifts in. I never have to, and I would, that's why I always start with deadlifts. I mean, I'd start with them anyway. But deadlifts, glute ham raise. There's never a line for the glute ham raise, all right? Because <laughs> there's probably three people at the gym besides me who can even do it. Meanwhile, it's Monday and the bench is crowded. <laughs> Everyone's trying to get on the bench. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why this bad advice keeps getting passed down from generation to generation. Because when I first started lifting weights, I made the same mistakes too. It was me and my friends doing bench presses and curls in my basement. Right. And now, and that was 1991 or something. So now, fast forward to 2020, and what do most young guys do at the gym? Bench press and curls. So this yep. bad advice. Girls for the girls, man. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> and if you look at, if these guys took the time to look at anyone who's jacked, because most guys that I see that are jacked, they're not just upper body jacked. They're lower body is strong too. Well, all they have to do is look at themselves. Like you're built like a martini glass. Okay. You're all nice. <laughs> you're all on top. You're all cut. Yeah. But your legs, I'm mean, look at those little legs, man. What are you doing? <laughs> so. But now, now we see a lot of younger people starting to deadlift, but they think they're professional power lifters. So they've, <laughs> they've got a, they've got a triple layer belt on and they're deadlifting 225. So, I mean, someone like Mark Phillippe told me, he goes, you're the perfect candidate to start using a belt because you've worked up to six plates with no straps, no belt. So you start wearing a belt now, you can work up to 700 pounds. You can definitely get well over 600. So I actually got a really nice belt. I actually found, I actually found one that's non-leather. So I don't, I'm as a vegan plant based guy, I don't support leather products. But there's a company called Strength Shop and I, I actually have this belt in front of me right now. This thing is nice. Whoops. This thing and is so my office is very solid. <laughs> <laughs> no, this thing this thing this thing is solid, man. All right. Look, if if the guys at Home Depot wore this, they'd never have a back problem ever again, no matter how big their guts are, because <laughs> this thing, man, and you really get tight in this thing. I was using a belt just dicking around with the bar I have at home and that was nothing compared to this, and even that helped. I was doing some deadlifts the other day, so this one I can't wait to test drive later. But, Tom, uh, on a totally different topic, what do you think? I just got a barbell. It's called a Texas deadlift barbell, so it has a whip on it, right? It bends a little bit when you get over five plates. What do, have you ever used a barbell designed just for deadlifts, such as this one? It's longer. It's a little bit thinner, so it's easier to grip, and it has a little bit of a whip. No, I never did, man. I mean, I had um – you know, the only bars 
back when I was competing, we had Olympic bars and power bars. And then after I was done with competing, I've used things like tsunami bars, you know, which the carbon polymers. And right. I've used um, I've used a lot of thick bars, but I never had uh, one that whipped. It's pretty so nice. Just, uh, well, so I'm just I just Googled it, and so I got uh, so I put Texas deadlift barbell, and then yeah. it's under is that Texas power bars? Is that who has yeah. it? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You know, it's funny. I typed in uh, Texas deadlift, and also what popped up was the Ohio deadlift bars. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Edwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Ohio deadlift bar, I believe, is similar. In fact, I may have tried to buy that first, but it was it was on back order indefinitely. While this yeah. bar, this bar, I bought maybe two months ago, and it arrived three days ago. Nice. It's 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 it has these prongs on it which I don't necessarily like because it's like oh you don't have to use chalk I was like well eh, I'd rather use chalk and not have my hands get torn up than have these little prongs sticking out but anyway people say you get used to that so we'll see we'll see about that I'm not going to use it only I'm not going to use it as my only deadlift apparatus I'm going to be using a variety of bars I have one that doesn't bend at all there's one at the gym that bends a little bit but not like this one. I have a trap bar, so just some variety. But when I go for a PR, I'm definitely going to use this bar because I can tell that once I get used to it, I'll be able to accelerate it off the ground, which is not always easy. A lot of times you try to accelerate, you get out of the pocket, and now you're doing a Romanian deadlift inadvertently. Sure. Uh, so I was just um, looking on YouTube to see if there is um, an example of a video of someone using the bar. Are you on Instagram at all? Uh, I think so. I don't do anything on the, um, my, I have guys that work for me that handle all the marketing stuff and all the different social yeah. media platforms. I mean, I'll, I'll send you a link after the episode. Okay. Cool. Them, I, I put up a clip of myself doing it. So if you just want to see what it looks like in action. Yeah. That'd be cool. It, it, it doesn't bend excessively, at least not with five plates. Maybe when you get over six plates, it probably, the bend probably becomes more pronounced. But I mean, uh, Mark, Mark explained basically what you explained a while back, because the last time you were on, you were talking about putting plates at the end of the barbell so that there's more bend. Yeah. And I didn't quite understand what you were talking about at that time, but I, I get it now because Mark basically said with the bars that bend, what happens is when you pull the bar, you're starting about maybe an inch higher than normal because the bar is pulling. But also what happens is the plates at the end are bending down. So when you pull the weight off the ground, you're basically pulling the first three plates first because the other two plates at the end are still connected to the ground. And then you pull the other two plates. So you're getting that forced acceleration, almost the way it would feel when you use chains, lighter at the bottom, heavier at the top. And these things make a difference when you're reaching your genetic threshold or when you're reaching – your ultimate PR. It doesn't make a difference when you're one of these kids with a belt on with 225. The bar's not even going to bend until you get to five plates. So you don't really notice anything until you, you start adding more weight on. But one thing Mark Phillippe said is when he did the, when he competed in this tire deadlift competition where he deadlifted 900 pounds, he said that 900 was actually easier than 800 because the bar bent so much more at 900 that you got this pronounced whip. It, it just came off the ground. And I didn't quite understand what he was talking about then either. I, I get it now, <laughs> but yeah. now that I've experienced this little thing. So it's just interesting but, to you know, me. It's but he, so he's strong strange. enough to generate that tension for it, right, that tensile strength to get to 900. <laughs> oh, also, he trains with a bar at his gym that doesn't bend at all. Oh, yeah. And I have yeah. a bar at my house that doesn't bend at all either. And 
400 pounds on that bar feels like 500 pounds at the bar at the gym, at least at the, at the initial, because I mean, it's a hundred percent dead weight. And what does all this have to do with cancer? Absolutely nothing. There's movement, there's exercise. Like everyone who shut off, it's like, hey, look, we're talking about the benefits of exercise for preventing cancer. So don't shut off now. <laughs> yeah, well, when you, um, when you see how many people go in for, say, chemotherapy radiation and they come out and they're so weak, you know, that like why, why does someone do a therapy and all of a sudden need a wheelchair? Right. Like that tells you something's wrong. Right. But it's accepted. And so if you're not doing something to counter the loss, like cancer itself is extremely cachexic, like it's it's gobbling up muscle like crazy. So if you're not doing something to keep every, you know, gram of muscle in your body, like you're going downhill no matter what, because the uh, if you, even if you beat the cancer, you're done. You're like you're done like half of what you were, maybe two thirds of what you were. Right. You know, I had a. And you may I, not have been much to start with. So yeah. two thirds of what you are when you were at 50% of what you could be, <laughs> you know, is, yeah. is, is really significant. And I, I don't understand why men in particular are okay being weak, physically weak, mentally weak, you name it. I don't, I don't get it. I, I've never gotten it. I don't, I don't, well, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why they find that personally acceptable. I don't care. I don't, care want, I don't want to be a part of toxic masculinity, bro. Okay. <laughs> you know, we got to change the narrative, man. You're not going to get any women either. How many male feminists have, have actual girlfriends? They have female friends, but none of these girls want to sleep with them. So th this, this whole notion of, I'm going to be a fe male feminist as a way to look cool with girls. I was like, that's great if you want to have a lot of female friends of a certain kind, but you're not going to get further than that. And that's just a fact. Yeah. Well, you know, what I see a lot of times is you have um, these couples that have been together for a long time. <laughs> we know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. so they're, they're not, well, they're not really trying anymore, you know, worried about how they look or any of that stuff because they're together. Yeah, but it shouldn't be for each other. Yeah. It should be for yourself. Yeah. Right? Well, not, yeah, not, yeah, but, you know, so you're bringing up some good points, but in terms of like, you know, addressing why are they um, accepting of being weak? What I think happens is they get into this lifestyle where, you know, you do whatever work you're doing, which more and more people are doing less and less physical effort at work. Right. Most people right. now have something that involves a computer or something like that. Right. Now you get home and it's just like you didn't eat all day or you didn't eat for four hours. You're starving. So you sit on the couch, you eat. Now you're tired. You watch a movie, maybe in bed, maybe on the couch. And <laughs> you don't feel like, you know, everything is wasting away because you don't have any objective reference. So like, right. And when I right. ask guys, like, you know, like most people don't know things like, What's their cholesterol level or what's their blood sugar or, do, you know, what's their red blood cell count, their white blood right. cell count? They don't know, you know, is their right leg stronger than their left leg? Is right. their right eye yeah. dominant over their left eye? There's a lot of things that, you know, most people don't have any clue. Uh, almost everyone, we ask them, what's your dominant eye? A lot of guys that are shooters that are supposed yep. to know their dominant eye, every time they come in, they tell me, I test them, it's the wrong guy. I'm like, nah, man, that's yep. not the dominant <laughs> eye. And they're like, well, that's how I was taught. And so, you know, it's uh, – so there's a lot of misinformation, like, you know, things like everyone should drink eight glasses of water a day. Hmm. Now, it doesn't matter if you're in a hot human environment and you weigh 300 pounds, you still drink just eight. You stop at eight yeah. don't go to nine. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so there's that kind of stuff that's out there. And it just you just 
just accept it and kind of deal with it. And then, you know, when someone comes along and challenges it, you're definitely not popular. Well, I, I think I think too many people rely on external motivations. And I, I think the real flaw is that you as an individual, forget about man, you as an individual man and woman should feel obligated to be as healthy and strong as possible, because especially with COVID out there. That act, you want to you you want to talk about overrunning the medical care system? Well, let's all make sure that we're as healthy as possible, so that none of us end up in the hospital. We can just stay right. at home and treat our mild symptoms if needed. That's yeah. the real way to avoid overrunning the fucking hospitals. It's well. not all of us sheltering in place and closing down our businesses and being paranoid to go anywhere. What's even worse is like you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you need to go to the hospital because they're probably going to turn you away right now because of COVID. So don't even. Are, are you may get it there. Exactly. Well, you may exactly. not have it. I, I don't want to go, go there. To now you hospital. got it. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to go to a hospital right now. It's like, come on, man. It's like, look, man, I don't want to get gonorrhea or something like that. So why am I going to the nasty strip club in town? Okay. <laughs> just by sitting down on the seat or something like that. You can just catch something. So yeah, no, just, man. Just stay just away. For your own self-confidence, though, I don't understand why people aren't intrinsically motivated to project a certain level of well fitness, strength in particular men because me my, my attitude as a man is you're you also have a role as a protector so if you're out with your wife or you're out with your friends or family and all that you should be situationally aware yes. and also also project strength where you are not a target where someone's going you know what not that couple because that guy looks like he could rip my arms off Let's again, find someone else that's more susceptible. Well, again, mainstream now, you know, so, I mean, it, it actually a lot of it started even in the schools because anytime boys are quote unquote hyperactive, which means they're just, I don't know, they're kids and they're energetic, you know, right. they're being medicated, you know, they're being, you know, ruled as unruly or autistic or have behavioral problems only right. because they're naturally being children. They're not sitting in one. They don't want to just sit in one spot for eight to nine hours and be quiet because that's not how kids are designed. So what ends up happening, you have a lot of teachers, you know, especially a lot of female teachers, you know, they'll sit there and talk like, oh, he's hyper-masculine and he's hyper this and hyper that. <laughs> and these kids and, you know, these young boys, they get punished for that. And so one way, one thing or the other is either they need to sit down and be quiet, you know, or they're going to get moved into isolation somewhere. And we know isolation does not work. It only makes things worse. And uh -huh. most likely it's going to make it worse for them Mentally, especially at that young age, because you've already programmed them at a young age psychologically that they need to be alone. Otherwise, they're they are a disruption to everyone around them. And so that's when you start de developing that behavior or the opposite is in order for me to be around everyone else, especially girls or whatever else. I need to tone it down because and, and now they're going to grow up and believe in that. And so now there's, there's nothing promoting strength for the most part anymore, whether it be a man or a woman. And women's strength is not necessarily you got to go and try to lift 900 pounds or whatever, but just to be strong enough to understand, like, okay, look, this man right here, you know, he's the protector, but I also have his back. And that's one of the things I like to teach my clients when I'm teaching them to shoot in their couples. I'm like, okay, now, don't I don't want you depending on your husband to be the one to always be the one that, you know, that carries the gun and can protect right. you. I need you, too, to get on top of your gas. And what happens if he gets shot? Because right, the first thing women right. like to say is, like, yeah, I don't have to worry about you. I don't want to shoot because, you know, my husband, he's, he's got a gun. He trains. I just, you know, I'll let him do all that. So, yeah, but he gets shot. Then what? I said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to need you to just automatically take that gun and get to shoot. I said, guess what? This is how women behaved. Somebody, yeah, I said behaved. This is how they behaved back in, as far as 100, 150 years ago. Now, there's a lot of women that could outshoot the average man. You know, a lot of these so-called Western era, you know, times or whatever. So I said, just step up and make sure you got each other's back. And that's where strength comes in. You know, pretty much like, okay, 
I know I can do this, and I know I, I'm, he's probably better at this, so I'm going to step back and let him be good at that. He can do the same thing, but at the same time, you need to compliment each other. And it's not a contest, and I think that's another thing that's kind of messing people up when it comes to strength. There's this com- contest between toxic masculinity versus uh, strong, independent feminist. I'm like, okay, where's all this, this separation coming from? It just, it just doesn't work that way. It's not, not in the long haul anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, that's a black hole of a topic. We're not going to find any dark matter in there either. No, no dark matter. <laughs> <laughs> that's just one of those topics that I, I'm just expressing my uh, incredulous mindset right. on it. Exactly. I mean, I, I just don't get it. And like you said, sincere, I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to break every world class record out there in powerlifting, or, and that, that's not even what I'm promoting. I'm just saying like a basic level of fitness, a health like, fitness. So you're not a liability on that front. Right there. That part right there. You know, so maybe people need to look at it that way. You know, you know, get to the point where you're not a liability. Okay. So make, make people have to make another, a situation have to work hard to make you a, li- a liability. Don't make it easy. You know, a lot of guys in the, in, you know, in this two way industry like to say, you need to be hard to kill. You know, you can take that philosophy. Into any area, whether it's, you know, your physical strength, your mental strength, your financial strength, any of that, your relationship strength, you know, just be hard to kill, man. So, you know, just nice. And, and watch, watching the movie with Steven Seagal is not going to help. That doesn't No. Help. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, you're not even going to learn good running technique watching Steven Seagal. You ever seen him run in marked for death? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of the way any man should be running is. <laughs> So I guess I guess you could learn something. You could say, okay, I don't want to look like that when I go running. If I look like that, I'm going to film myself running. And if I look anything like that, I'm never going to run again. <laughs> Him running like that, man, makes like Forrest Gump look like Usain Bolt. Okay. <laughs> and these are your examples. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> well, Thomas, man, we've been off for two hours. Is there anything you want to to add or your or plug? Uh, let's see. Um, I think, uh, right now, um, I would tell everybody just go to the, um, Cosenta site and just make sure you sign up for our newsletters because we're going to be pushing out some really cool stuff. Um, I got, um, so I got a couple engineers and physicists coming in and I'm going to be basically hooking people up to some, uh, Cybex arc trainers while we're doing, all kinds of cool, like exosome IVs with magnetic energy and laser and sound waves and all stuff, just to see, like, you know, um, how how much can we push the human being. I got a couple of uh, defensive linemen I'll be working with. They're all young guys. They're all beasts already. And I've always I always thought, man, what if I could take the shit I know to do and just find a, a guy who's just young and not damaged yet, you know, doesn't have, right. like, 30 years of abuse yeah. on his body like I do. And say, <laughs> you know, what can we do with him? And uh, see what happens. You know, I, t- I saw this one guy. He's he's a beast. And uh, he grabs my hand, and I said, "When you shake my hand, show me what you got. Don't give me none of these little wimpy fish handshakes." So he grabbed my hand, and he almost had my knuckles touching. I was like, "Ah, that's okay." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, "Don't squeeze." <laughs> 
That's yeah, what it's yeah, like yeah. when I first met John Brookfield. John Brookfield's hand's the size of pitcher's mitt. And I, I was like, don't squeeze, man, all right? Don't try to bend my hand like a nail because that guy, <laughs> I can feel that guy. Everything, yeah. you, everything you read about his grip strength, you believe immediately the second you shake his hand. You're like, oh, okay, okay, yep. I get it, I get it. <laughs> when I was, uh, oh, man, so um, years ago, Richard Soren had a crazy grip strength. And there was um, some of the Gillingham brothers, one of them, I can't remember which one, he was grabbing this 100-pound lead brick, and it um, was just big enough that you could barely get your fingers on it. Like, you'd have really big hands. And I had set a world record in a farmer's walk. I'd done pretty decently in, like, one-arm deadlift with a three-inch barbell, uh, three-inch diameter. But I just couldn't um, – I could not do the Thomas Inch dumbbell. It's 173 pounds, which wasn't a heavy, but I couldn't get my hand around the dumbbell handle to just be able to come off the ground. And so, I mean, one day I see uh, Magnus Samuelson lift the dumbbell like three times. I saw Mark Henry uh, like snatch it with one hand a couple of times. Uh, so here I am. I, I tried it literally like a hundred times. I'm not exaggerating. I couldn't. I couldn't even get it to just come off the ground. It just roll and broke. You know, come right out of my hand. Yeah. And yeah. then one of the Gillingham brothers. Now the whole family. They're all. They all like beasts. They're all like serious lifters. But the one I can't remember is. We can remember the name. Or the first name. He lifted like every like his. He, he wasn't like a great deadlifter or squatter, but when it came to like grip strength. He could do all the captains of crush. He could do lift all these crazy objects easily. Like not even he could be talking to you while he's doing it. So it almost looks like you know like a magic act because he does it easily. Then you go try it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. couldn't yeah. budge it. I couldn't even slide it across the table. And I'm like, what the hell? Like it just there's no way this guy's grip is that much stronger than mine. And in the end, his grip was actually that much stronger than mine. <laughs> like, I just, well, I mean, it, only a certain kind of person with a certain genetic predisposition is going to be able to lift that Thomas Inch dumbbell anyway, because I've tried lifting that before. My hands are nowhere big enough to get a certain wraparound on it where I can, I can secure a grip. I'm, I'm assuming that everybody who's ever lifted that probably has really big hands in addition to a grip right. because you have to, you, you don't get the leverage otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just amazing though, how some guys uh, can do certain things, you know, easily. Well, we all, we all have our little things that we can do that other people find really difficult, right? With me, it's dragon flags. Like, dragon flags to me are nothing. I can do them all day long. But I, I know very few people who can do them. I taught courses all over the world. I would always teach dragon flags. No one was able ever to do a full repetition. And the, the only guys I can see that can do it are usually gymnast-type physiques, 170 pounds and below. So people are always asking me, like, you know, how would you work up to that? I go, I, I didn't work up to it. I go, the first time I ever tried it, I, I was able to do it, and I just built it from there. So I don't really have a lot of advice to people on, right. <laughs> you know, maybe go do all the things I did before. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Turkish get-ups with kettlebells, windmill, hanging leg raises, because obviously I had some kind of core strength going into it. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. And then there's Steve Cotter with one-legged squats. I mean, he can right. hold two 70-pound kettlebells and do repetitions, and – I don't think I've ever seen anyone use that much weight on one-legged squats, and he does it. I don't know if he can still do it, but it, in, when I first met him, he he had no problem doing that. He could bang it out anytime he wanted, and not just do it, make it look really good while he did it. His technique looked incredible while he did 
basically a front squat on one leg with 140 pounds. So I think everyone's got something. Not everyone, but those of us who train, we we all have something that just comes easy to us and other people find difficulty with. That's what my experience. So do you guys ever come across uh, Dan Wagman by any chance? Doesn't stop there. He was – so he was uh, an editor at Muscle and Fitness years ago, and uh, I had um, – I used to write, you know, for Muscle and Fitness and Flex and a bunch of other magazines. You know, this is probably like 20 years ago, maybe longer. So one day Dan goes, hey, man, you want to come to Jimmy and train back? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go train back. And, you know, and I, <laughs> at that point, I probably was doing barbell rows right around 400 pounds. Um, I, I got much well, heavier quite, later on. quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. it, well, so Especially if you're not back. heaving it. That's a lot exactly. of weight. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, my back's pretty strong. And so, uh, and I had never seen, like, I didn't really know anything about Dan. Like, I didn't know that he could lift. He was muscular, but I see lots of bodybuilder guys that weren't, they were muscular, but they weren't that strong in the gym. Right. He goes, all right, let's warm up with some pull-ups. And I'm like, okay, you know, I can do pull-ups. You know, I, I could, I could do like 10 with 100 pounds hanging from me. He goes over, and I'm not exaggerating. He grabbed, he had two 45-pound plates on a, uh, like a chip belt. You know, those, one of those belts, the chain that you put the plates through. Yeah. He bangs out like 20 reps, like there's nothing there. Wow. Like, and I, I mean, like it was, it was easy. Wow. Then, <clears throat> He goes, um, and he starts, just starts throwing on, uh, I think he got to 240 pounds hanging from him. So he had yeah. more weight hanging from him than what he weighed, and he was kicking my ass in the reps. Wow. And well, the, then, the, fact he could, the fact he could even do reps without much <laughs> right. weight, yeah. that's right. Right. One, one so rep right. would have been impressed. You know, I mean, multiple, it's crazy impressive. Wait, so it gets even better. Then he, he says, all right, let's go one arm. <laughs> So, oh, like, all right, like, all right, all right. Now you're just showing off. <laughs> Wait, one arm. I was like, and he starts doing uh, one arm chin ups, and he's just doing his body weight easily. And like I'm hanging from my arm, about to re- dislocate my shoulder. I can't do one arm chin up. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm not. You know, I could like hold. I could have hold my wrist with the other hand and do like you know like a fake one arm chin up. But he's like doing a legit one arm behind his back, pulling himself up. Come to find out, he was uh, had set a Guinness Book of World Record in a one arm chin ups. Like the boy had some serious back strength, <laughs> so um, he kicks the shit out of me that day uh, with back. But it was just so funny. It's like, hey, you want to work out? You're a workout, and you're with the guy. And he's in Guinness Book of World Records, and I never knew that. We never really talked about that kind of stuff. Yeah. You got hustled, man. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah, man. that's like color. That's like color of color money. <laughs> yeah, that's like well, Paul Newman in the color of money right there. That's what that yeah. is. Well, I always prefer to train with guys that were strong than me. Oh fuck yeah, um, yeah. Fuck yeah. And that's how you get strong. You can't get strong the strongest dude in the room, yeah. man. It's just like you know being the yeah. smartest dude in the room. It's, like, it's not going to get you anywhere. No, being the strongest guy in the room is the worst for <laughs> someone who actually wants to get stronger. Exactly. But at the same time. If you rely on, if you don't rely on an external factors, then it doesn't really make any difference whether there's stronger people in the room or not because you're focused on what you're doing. But that point aside, when you're around people that are way stronger than you, you automatically step it up. Yeah. It's just automatic. You step it up. Yeah. 
It kind of goes back to what Thomas was just saying about the the little boy, you know, that was lifting like five pounds at first, and Thomas comes and does ten. It's like it's good to see that despite everything that he was dealing with with his health, right. that, that his testosterone was still working for him. There's just a man inside that boy right there. So, right. you know, so he's like, oh, oh, okay, 10 pounds, all right, let's go for 15, big man. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, I, I was talking to Vince McConnell on my YouTube show, and he said that we were talking about external factors, and he said that at his gym what happened is one of his trainers started training a really good-looking lady. So now all of a sudden, any of the guys that are around – and these aren't guys that are being creepy. They're not trying to talk to her. They're not hovering around her. But just the fact that she's in the room, you know, they see her, all of a sudden they're stuck in their guts in. They're yeah, like, hey, man, man add another plate to the bar. You know? Man, at the end of the day, and, we're all animals before we're humans. That, that animal instinct <laughs> kicks in. That peacocking starts happening, man. You start spreading those feathers, you know, or your gorilla start beating that chest a little bit. So, yeah, very, very, very few women care or even notice what you're <laughs> right. lifting, right? But that doesn't matter because you're not trying to get her phone number or even talk to her. You're just using the visual stimuli of an attractive woman to step up your game, and I don't see anything wrong with that. That's good. Plus, I mean, that's that happens whether you wanted to or not as a straight oh, yeah. man, right? So, I mean, if if I go to the gym today and there's a bunch of good-looking women in there, I'm not going to try to talk to them, but just the fact that they're in there, yeah. I'm going to have a better workout. Here's, <laughs> the, thing, here's the thing. You just said, like, they, they won't even notice that you're lifting, but here's one thing. They will notice that you're the one that lifts the least and looks the weakest. Now, they will <laughs> notice that. <laughs> that will catch their attention. You don't want to catch their attention that way. <laughs> the, only thing, the only thing they're going to notice on me is a great ass that they want to tap. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be like, man, I'm, it's, it's taking everything. It's, and I mean, tap literally, you know, like with the head. Not, not, they're, gonna, they're gonna go, wow, it's taking everything I have to not walk over to that guy right now and just squeeze that. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, See, now, these, now these are the kind of conversations I have with myself because again, my <laughs> was like, I was like, hey, I better, I better really, I better really step it up on this deadlift because she may come over at any moment and, and squeeze, squeeze my ass. <laughs> so I got <laughs> Oh man. And I'm thinking that's a good place to end the show. <laughs> yeah. Well guys, it's always uh it's very enjoyable talking with you. Yeah, you too, man. <laughs> and very informative. It's always great having you on because you're helping a lot of people and you actually helped uh, my wife, Carol, actually had one of her friends call you because her husband has, I believe, prostate cancer. And uh, she said she had a really nice experience talking to you and that they're going to fly out to your place that's at, in the very near future and, and set up an appointment and go into more detail. So I appreciate that, man. You're a really oh. generous guy. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do these free consults with people to assess their situation, but you do it, and it's much appreciated. Uh, thanks. Uh, it's always nice to hear that because um – you know, we probably talk to, uh, between myself and the other doctors here, uh, on a given month, it might be like anywhere from 25 to maybe 250 people that wow. we do free consults for. And I would say 90% say, well, I'm going to do this because it's covered by insurance, you know, since oh, they're boy. taking, you know, it's, yeah. they're going to do what's free first. Right. Right. And then time goes by, and I just literally uh, we we try to stay on top of you know say hey it's been a year it's been two years et cetera like how are things going. Last week we had over a dozen people co- co- recontact us and saying worse than ever weaker than ever. I'm like they're like literally everything you said that would happen happened, and I'm like well you know it's uh, what what happens is like we've we've helped I don't know we probably. Um, take care of over 100,000 people, 
but each person, it's their first journey, you know, dealing with this stuff. Right. So right. They hear, you know, just do go keto or do this or do that. Oh, so you mentioned, uh, since you mentioned the thyroid cancer, yeah. there's a lot of stuff on the internet about just doing a vegan diet, how it treats thyroid cancer. So right. I got all these people said, well, I read that a vegan diet treats thyroid cancer. So I never got surgery. I never did it. And I'm like, look, I don't make any money giving you this advice, right? It's free. Yeah. But the way that I know cancer, if you could cut it out, it's the fastest way. And that's why today we would say surgery if we can. Now, if it's some, you know, it's wrapped around your spinal cord, it's in your brain, then you might say, like, let me try some other options because the invasiveness of the procedure could be too big a threat. But we're going to try to do like logical, like what's minimally invasive, what's the surest thing to be produced, like zero cancer in the body, that kind of stuff. But then there's still going to be follow up. Like you're going to do other things to kind of (laughs) get healthier so you don't have this again. Right. And you know what's crazy is how many guys would be like, well, I stopped smoking for two weeks. (laughs) They get get surgery and they go back to smoking. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." And I'm like, wow. And they're like, well, you know, I tried to quit the habit. I can't quit. I'm like, dude, like, I just had this one guy. I showed him there was something crazy, like 16,000 studies linking cigarette smoking with his cancer. And he just would not quit smoking. I'm like, look, I don't want your money because there's nothing I could do that's going to counter that. And I got access to really cool resources. I'm just telling you, it ain't going to work. And so uh, when he got – and the other thing is, you know, when you – what most people don't realize is when you're on your own, you're not meaning you're not in the hospital, you have the ability to make a decision. When you get to the point you're in the hospital, some idiot that you would never hire to work for you is now making the calls on what's going to happen to you. Yeah, right. And that's the thing they never consider. Like, the guy's an idiot. Yeah, but he's calling the shots about you right now. You don't have any, any say in the matter because right. you're stuck. You know, and so that's what you want to do is um, you want to you want to make – intelligent decisions when you can stay in control and keep your health. You don't want to, you know, get trapped in a a nightmare where, you know, like most hospitals and policies, if you're over 80, we're going to manage your care, which means they're going to help you die. They're not going to actually do anything to fight the cancer. Right. 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 Well, guys, um, you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. And um, I feel like now i got to start deadlifting because Mike's going (laughs) to kick my ass in the gym. So i I got (laughs) to... Gotta, I gotta do one of those pictures where like just like a guy at each end lifting the bar, just be in the center to see all the plates in the video, right? You but you get those two guys. You get prop weights that they use on <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I gotta have like all kinds of chains on the edge. Like, well, man, you, I know you, you can still you, loop, lift. You lifted more than I will ever work up to you on deadlifts. That's so we can. So whatever I would do is something that you've done a long time ago, or probably can still do. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Well, I I, uh, I do love lifting heavy weights. You know, like you know, some people like I knew, knew some guys that just love running forever. Yeah. I was never one of those guys. I was always a <laughs> guy that yeah, you know something about feeling something heavy, especially if like someone tries it, can't do it, and then you do it easily. That's actually something about something about the deadlift in particular is really yeah. primal because it, it oh, yeah. involves everything. It's your hands. You got to have your grip. You got to. You gotta have your lats ready. You gotta have your legs drive. Oh. You gotta have. Oh, that reminds me. Something about so, it is really primal. So I, I forgot to tell you guys. We ordered this treadmill. It weighs seven hundred pounds, 
and it's 37 inches wide and we have to get it through a doorway that oh. I don't know, it's like 32 and a half, 30, you know, 33 inches or so. So I tell the company, let me know when it comes because I have to make special arrangements how to get this through the door. So of course they don't say anything. This thing <laughs> shows up. It's in the parking lot. So they have like, you know, the truck with the back lift gate that lowers it. The right. guy has a forklift and he puts the pallet, you know, puts it on the pallet. He puts in the parking spot in front of the door <clears throat> and this thing's gigantic. It's almost taller than I am. Actually, I think it is. I think it's taller than six feet. And then it's, it's wide. So we're like, holy shit. It's like 110 degrees out. It was cool <laughs> that day, you know? And then we're like, how do we get this thing through the door? So, uh, we decided right, we're going to have to dismantle the top, like where the, um, like with the, the sides with the console. We take the top part off. That part's light. The base is 700 pounds. And it won't fit through the door. We're like, shit. Ooh. So it's like, so me and another guy, we turn it sideways and we carry it. So we're carrying this thing. So the first, we first start to lift it and he had the heavier end. I'm like, dude, you're younger than me. You get the heavy end. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as we both lift it, I'm looking at it like, you know, treadmills, I don't know, five feet long. I don't know, maybe less. But you say so you're fairly close, right? Look at each other. We're looking into each other's eyes, and as we start to lift, I could see his eyeballs bulging out from the weight <laughs> of the treadmill, <laughs> oh, and he yeah. sees my eyeballs bulging out. And, That's a lot of weight to carry. Yeah, we so yeah. we, we we're basically we stand up with it, and I'm like, all right, let's get going, and I'm not I'm not going to stop until we get this to where it's got to go. <laughs> so we carry the shit across the gym, get in the corner. And I'm looking at him, I go, can we agree we will never do this again? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You're never going to get rid of that piece of equipment no matter no. what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could, like, it could be the most ineffective thing ever. <laughs> oh, well. You can have to stay there. It's a glorified yeah. coat rack now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but everybody was like, holy shit, you guys carry a treadmill. I was like, you know, sometimes – you just got to do it without thinking because yeah, if you actually thought that through, yeah. like I could have slipped, hurt yeah. myself. I could have oh, done yeah. so many, you know. Or to still be in the parking lot in that parking space. <laughs> just, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We're gonna have, we have a new outdoor trading experience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just adapt, man. Just adapt. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, I think you might get a kick out of that. Yeah, that was great, man. Well, thank you, bud. Thank you, for, thank you for all your time. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I hope you have a great week, too. I appreciate it. You too, guys. And oh, uh, one last thing: Have you been to Guy Savoy at Caesar's Palace? Uh, what's it called? Guy Savoy uh, Restaurant at Caesar's no. Palace. What kind of restaurant is uh, it? It's a uh, it's like a French fine dining, but it's yeah. um, it's on, got, a ve- on a vegan diet. There's probably not even one thing I can <laughs> eat gonna, there. You're gonna be croissants. <laughs> Mike's gonna have unlimited croissants. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> even those have butter. Oh yeah, we got yeah, butter right, on that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. French, French is French is not on my top cuisine. Uh, it's not, but I tell you what, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever even been to a French restaurant. It is not on my top cuisine. Well, it was just one of those things. It was one of the best dining experiences I've ever had. And that's like, I'll, say, I'll take a look at the menu for out of curiosity yeah. to see what they have. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, just call them and tell them. Like I'm sure if those guys, I'm sure they can cook anything. Thing. Just tell them, look, I'm vegan. Make, you know, make it work, and I'm sure they'll figure something out. Yeah, I'm anyway. way past that stage of my yeah. vegan career where I actually have yeah. to have people yeah. make meals for me. And I was yeah. like, I want to see a meal on the menu, okay? I'll look into it, though. I'll look into it. Appreciate yeah, it. My in-laws are going out there, so I'll, I'll let them know, you know, especially yeah. my, my Lebanese mother-in-law. I'm like, hey, here's your other, your colonized half right here. Go try this restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> she speaks French. Like, hey, put that French to use now.
<laughs> well, what happens when you go to see the shows, we usually try, we try to hit like, you know, you take your family out for dinner Oops. and then you go see the, see the shows, you know? No shows to see now. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I know, right? It's been You can so watch a video. <laughs> yeah, well, Cirque, so, so Cirque du Soleil actually, I mean, not, this doesn't mean that they're done, but they filed for bankruptcy probably because they have to, because they have no money coming in, restructure, get out of some debts and so forth. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that doesn't mean they're done. Whenever people say that, they act like it's over. I go, that doesn't mean it's over. That just, that's just a necessity right now. A lot of, a lot of companies are filing bankruptcy, not because they're done, just because they're in a situation where no money's coming in, but the bills still are. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I hope everything winds up turning in a positive direction for all these companies. Yeah, yeah, I hope so, too. I hope so, too. All right, guys. Catch you later. Thank all you. Right, take care. Thanks a lot, Tom. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. You have a great day. You, too, man. Bye. Thank you. Bye. That wraps up this week's Live Life Progressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Progressive show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode that is not available to the public. Our Patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving Patreon-only discount codes beginning at 15% off on all products on MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lastly, be sure to share the episode by following us on social media on Facebook as well as our new account on Instagram. Until the next episode, take care, everybody.